You're listening to episode 267 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So let's now, not. Oh, yeah. no, you got it. All right, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. Go I was going to say, let's not bury the lead, right? Normally, this is the part of the show where one of the chuckle fucks comes in and tries to make a joke. I don't feel like we need to do that. The main event is here. Christopher Sabella is back. There you go. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Christopher Sabella, the writer of, wow, I mean, since the last time we've done this, uh, the list has grown. <laughs> it really has. Um, <laughs> but of course, Crowded, Volume 1, 2, 3, uh, you know, Foul Brood, which is on Kickstarter now. We're going to be talking about that. I am so excited to talk about that. Uh, Short Order Crooks, which for those of you who are, you know, long time listeners, you know that we're in that. The Comics Pals <laughs> actually make an appearance in that, which is awesome. Um, uh, just a whole host of books. Dot Self, which is on Comicsology, So many different books. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mentioned that you have a ton of books out. I can't wait to talk to you about Dirtbag Rapture in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I, I know I've, I've been loving it. Pete just uh, read it. He's been loving it. So we're going to dive into that. Um, and we're going to talk to the people about how awesome the kickstarter is for foul brood in just a moment before we get into that i do want to let you guys know how you can support the show and where you can find us of course we are on all podcast hosting platforms leave us a follow a rating and a review wherever you listen to us if that happens to be youtube like the video share it with your friends and subscribe to the channel we're on the road to 500 subscribers so please hit that subscribe button help us out a little bit with that uh, listen to our reviews for Image Comics every Wednesday, Thursday for everything else. You can find that everywhere. You can find this show right here. And of course, listen to our most recent book clubs. We just put out the Spider-Verse book club. Go give that a bump. Enough about us. We're over. Because for <laughs> the rest of this conversation, it's all going to be about Chris. I don't even want to waste a moment before we get into Foul Brood. Because... I want to say it was three or four years ago. You came on this show and you talked to us about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this right, a B story that you had. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. I've been talking about it for a while. So. Yeah. And I, I remember being over the moon excited about it, but it was so, you know, it didn't have, there were no details. It was just sure. B crime. Okay. And then it kind <laughs> of started evolving. I remember Twitter posts where it's like, oh, the book's kind of coming together. I was like, oh, that's great. Uh, and now here we are, and it's on Kickstarter. It actually has artwork. It has a cover. It has covers, which are awesome. Um, and we're going we're gonna to be showing you guys that. Um, and, of course, there will be a link to the Kickstarter uh, project. It looks amazing. Talk to us about the, the process of this book coming together from inception when you were talking about it on here and other places and and now to where people can get it um yeah probably the last time i was on was when i was first uh just like rolling it around um i mean i think i've been thinking about this since 
sometime in 2017, maybe, maybe 2018. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, it all stems from an actual uh, news story I read and followed for a while about this guy in uh, California who got busted uh, with all these stolen beehives. Um, <laughs> like, and it was, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bees. And uh, the the thing that really hooked me in the article was they interview one of the cops who who discovered it, and he described the scene as uh, like a chop shop of stolen beehives. And I was like, that's, <laughs> like I was just hooked from that moment. I was like, that's such a good that's such a good phrase. Like, uh, so so yeah. From there, I was just like, well. Well, one, I didn't know anything about bees. Like, I don't like bees um, as a, or I didn't. I've grown to like them. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I didn't know anything about bees or beekeeping or any of that. So I kind of went down a, a tiny rabbit hole of figuring out how it all works, how you make money off of it. Like, beekeepers rent out their hives to farmers all across the country mm. Um, mm. to help improve the viability of their crops. Like, they'll, you know, rent several hives and then the bees will just go out, pollinate all their crops and then come back to the hive yeah. and like, and then the beekeepers come back and pick up their hives uh, and head back home with some money. So that was kind of the genesis. And then it was trying to figure out how to, you know, how to make it into an actual story instead of like, Hey, this is a really cool idea. Um, which is most of, most of my ideas are like, I get really excited about the idea and then I'm like, Oh, right now I have to actually like turn it into a, a, a real, like an actual narrative. Um, so yeah, I was just like working on it for a while. And then I started working with a couple artists on it and that didn't work out. Like it was just a, uh, for several reasons, it was just, I think bad scheduling, bad timing. Mm -hmm. um, so then I had to, go back to step one and uh claire Rowe and i who did welcome back together we i've been trying to get her on another book with me forever basically since welcome back ended and uh march of 2020 we were all set to start work on this book idea i had uh about a pandemic that kills like 100 million people um oh and wow <laughs> And I, I finally wrote her. I was like, hey, I don't think we should do this book anymore. There's an actual <laughs> pandemic. And I don't know how many people it's going to kill, but it's going to look like really bad taste if we uh, proceed. So we shelved that one for a while. <laughs> yeah, possibly forever. I don't know. But uh, but I was like, but I have this B thing Would you. And I sent her the script and she was super into it. And yeah, then since then, we've just been sort of slowly chipping away at it and uh you know then i got hank uh jones for coloring to join up and uh hassan has been on board i think since the beginning um and our editor jasmine walls uh came on and uh yeah like we've we've got the first two issues done like we're working on issue three right now so like whole team is super excited to like make this an actual real thing and finish it yeah um it's again it's so cool to see you know the artwork you know if you look at the the project page on kickstarter there are interiors that you can see 
Uh, and again, if you've been listening to this for a while or you've been following Chris's career, then you've probably heard about this idea at some point. So uh, it's always cool to see a creator that you're a fan of kind of put out a book that they've been talking about as a concept for some time. Um, so first of all, I have to ask you because I don't know anything about bees at all. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just curious uh, in all your research, did you learn, is there really a, a bee crisis? Are we in danger of there being no more bees? I mean, yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I, I don't know how dire it is. I mean, it, it is an actual concern, you know, colony collapse is a real thing, which affects a lot of, uh, which is, uh, yeah, like the big crisis. Um, I mean, yeah, I think we're, you know, we're under siege from several angles, not just bees. So, um, but yeah, bees are part and parcel of it. And they're, you know, uh, I don't know enough to say like, yep, we're definitely in trouble. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like bee, you know, bee populations have been in decline due to a million different reasons, probably something to do with climate, a lot to do with, you know, pesticides and uh, pollution and stuff. Um, and I don't know, like overcrowding, but uh, yeah, it's a legit thing. Um, and I sort of touch on it a little bit in the book as a a source of concern for our main character, Jolene, who runs a, an apiary. And, you know, it's like she's kind of got her back against the wall due to stuff like, you know, having a colony collapse, which is like pretty devastating. Um, it's just like having an entire population just wiped out. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a thing, but it's not, uh, it's not the central thing that I focused on. So I can only give you my, my half-assed uh, opinion on that. While we're on the subject of <clears throat> your kind of relationship to bees, I, I thought it was interesting you said earlier that you, you weren't a fan of bees, but now you feel right. like a, a bit of like a connection to them, I guess, from doing all this research. Like, what what was it that I guess changed for you? Like, do you feel like it's just the amount of exposure and like digging that you've done into that world that has given you kind of like an affinity and a, and a soft spot for it? Or was there like something in your research that like humanized bees for you or something like that? <laughs> no, I think it was just a general thing. Like, you know, see, you know, once you get sort of deep into it and seeing how bees work and how hives and colonies work, it's, it's just a weird, fascinating process. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, I just didn't like I didn't like bees because they were a threat. Like, I, I suppose they still are, but like, I've just, I figure if I'm going to write about them, like I need to like be at peace with them. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of, just kind of came to a decision that like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with bees. Like, uh, like we don't have a real, I don't have anything to really, you know, I've been stung once in my life. So it's not like I, I have some like deep seated bee trauma in my life. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, we're cool. Uh, uh, we're tight with, I'm tight with bees now. No beef with the bees. None, none whatsoever. Uh, so, unless they mess with me. So can I just like, can I just like DM you whatever? I have a bee question. Are you just like, are you a bee aficionado now? No, no, not at all. No? Okay. No. All right. Fair enough. 
So uh, I, something I, I was really interested in about just, I guess, like the development of Foul Brood mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, as, as Sean kind of alluded to before, right? Like you've put out so many books uh, in the last couple of years and you've worked with like a ton of different publishers, you know, a, a lot of the, the more notable um, names in the business, right? Um, but obviously, you also have, you know, Two-Headed Press, which is, you know, kind of your your personal imprint. And I, I'm interested, I guess, with that, what is it that, how do you decide what's a two-press or two-headed press book? Or I guess what made Foul Brood a two-headed press book rather than, you know, something like Dirtbag Rapture, which, you know, you, you've got out with Oni right now. Right. Um, I mean, mostly it's that, you know, we 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 did pitch it uh to a publisher and they passed on it um which i totally understand like we're we're not uh kind of, i guess your typical comic i don't know I, we're making something a lot more uh slow burn um and it's you know very much a character study of these sort of four different groups of characters um you know there's not a huge action scene in every issue um yeah i don't know i think you know like Claire and I had talked about, there was another publisher who was interested in it and Claire and I just kind of like talked to each other about it. And at that point, you know, we'd already, uh, we were already like deep in the issue too. And I, I think it was just like a sense of pride and ownership with us that like, it's like, shit, we've done all this on our own so far. Like, and we didn't really want to like go with somebody who would be like, yep, we're going to take 50% of everything um, just for putting it out, which I understand, you know, if they're paying, like they got to get something out of it. But I think it's just pride on our, on our parts. Like, you know, it's like, we've, we've just been quietly working on it. It belongs to us and we want to, we want to keep it. So uh, yeah, we just kind of like uh, like tricked these t- each other into doing a Kickstarter uh, for all intents and purposes. This this isn't your first rodeo on Kickstarter, no. Um, and we've you know we've talked to a bunch of creators, obviously, who do this and do it well, and you know have had success. Um, what are the the challenges? of putting together a Kickstarter that is successful. Uh, This Kickstarter, of course, will absolutely be successful. Uh, As we sit today, we are at 13,706 pledged of a $15,000 goal with 421 backers. When we started recording this, it was at 420, which is a magical number for a variety (laughs) of reasons. Um, But we also have seven days to go for you guys listening. That would make it five days to go, which means you need to go and support this Kickstarter. Um, what what are the challenges? What do you have to do to make a Kickstarter successful? Uh, I wish I knew. I don't know. Um, like, so far, all my Kickstarters have been, like, tiny little struggles. Like, um, we are definitely, like, a grower and not a shower. So, um <laughs> I, you know, all my all my Kickstarter, the, the only Kickstarter I've had that's like blown the doors out immediately was the fucking Clown Motel one, um, which got funded in four hours and wasn't even like it was a joke. <laughs> Can't so, get away from that thing. <laughs> but like all the serious Kickstarters I've done have just been like, you know, a marathon. And it's like, uh, like, I just have to keep banging the drum for 30 days. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I'm still, I'm, you know, I haven't done one in a bit, so I'm kind of relearning the process. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, I don't know. Um, I think definitely like having something finished uh, is very helpful instead of like, Hey, we want money to start working on this. Like it, it's less, uh, uh, you know, less confidence, I guess, it, from backers if you're like, oh, give us this money and then we'll start working on it and you'll see it in, you know, six months or something. Um, so for us, like we have the first two issues done, like ready to go. We just need money to pay the team and print it. Um, so I think that's helpful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I have no idea what makes a successful Kickstarter. I think just like having your shit together. Um, like I, I'm sure I'll have a better idea when I launch my next one. Um, and I've had a chance to like sort of post mortem this one. Um, sure. I'm kind of treating these as now my approach is like treating it as an experiment, seeing what works, what doesn't. Um, and then I can refine and adjust for the next one and, I don't know. Maybe in like a year, I'll I'll actually have a a substantive answer to this. But for now, it's just like a mystery. Like, I'm just shocked that anybody's giving to us. Uh, honestly, like, uh, you know, you put this up and then you're just like, please help, and you don't know what's gonna happen. So, um, yeah, I, it's it's all seems vaguely magical to me. Like, <laughs> I I don't have any control over it except for how much I talk about it. It's funny, all of the times I've asked that question, all the advice, all the knowledge that people have imparted essentially boils down to having your shit together. So, yeah, I think that's yeah, step one in anything, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, people are entrusting you with money and, uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, faith. Uh, and, you know, you just have to bust your ass to reward that. Like, and you can't. You know, because if you burn someone, then they're like they're just like, okay, well, I'm done with you. Like, I'm not gonna like back your shit. But you know, if you can, I think for me, I'm trying to cultivate like uh, a sort of new market for myself of like people who like my shit and want to read more of it. And there's only so many places. You know, there's only so many comics publishers. I can't put all my stuff out through them. So. I'm just trying to grow this little backyard venue um, where I can put out books that like don't really fit uh, in regular comics. So <clears throat> I I was interested by the fact that um, this Kickstarter was specifically for issues one and two. And I know mm -hmm. you had mentioned that y'all are, are already working on number three and you mentioned, you know, the, the, possibility of doing another kickstarter within like the next year or so do you see that as something that you'd like to kind of continually make a part of of your output where you are doing more kickstarter projects and doing more of like the self-funded self-published yeah. stuff rather than kind of going to the onis and you know the comicsologies of the world uh no i mean i i i want to do both um like i said i just i have too many books i want to do and you know, it's like, even if a publisher's in love with you, like there's only so many, you know, there's only so many slots they have to put books out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a, I suppose this is all theoretical, but there's like a danger that you're like, you wind up competing against yourself. Um, if you're putting out like, you know, a book from, 
I, I don't know how true that is, but it's a, a, a theory I've been carrying around in my head, whether it's paranoid or real, I don't know. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I just want to ha- like, I don't want to wait for permission from a publisher to go ahead and do a book. Like if it's something that I'm confident in and that I believe in, and, you know, I think there's a, there's an audience for it, then I'd much rather just like take it directly to them and be like, Hey, like, you know, we need X amount of dollars to do this. Uh, do you, do you want to help? Um, and yeah, I don't know, just trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to do it where it's not, um, like a weird crisis for me is like launching. This was like, I don't know. Um, just a whole thing of like, oh god, I'm 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 diving back into the ocean of Kickstarter. Like, just a lot of nerves and like weird feelings. Um, but I've done enough of them now that I feel like I guess a little more mentally prepared to to cope. Well, Kickstarter is obviously uh, a nightmare ball of anxiety for the creator, mm-hmm. but it's actually super fun for the people who get to back this stuff. And so I want to talk about what cool stuff people can actually get out of the Kickstarter for Foul Brood. Um, There are a lot of awesome options. Um, So first of all, you offer the actual physical copies or digital. You know, people can get it however they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are variant covers. Yeah. I want to talk about these variant covers because there are some really, really cool ones. Uh, so I think my personal favorite, uh, partially because I love these two humans also, is the uh, Rostein and Ted Brandt. Yeah, absolutely. Variant. Oh, my God. Yeah. They brought it. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they always do. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I knew when I asked them, like, I was going to get something really good. So um, and yeah, they like busted that out like. I I just find it amazing that like <clears throat> I I don't understand how art works like I understand intrinsically how it works but I don't understand how somebody just like stares at a blank sheet of paper and then imagines you know an image <laughs> and then they make it happen um so yeah and Roe and Ted you know I've been working with them long enough that like I was just like go do whatever you want like I know it's going to be good so they they didn't disappoint like pretty much everybody who did variants for us i was just like yeah like as long as it reads as like i was like you don't have to put the characters on the cover you know it, you know it doesn't have to look like a t- typical comic cover i just want it to f- read like bees and crime and whatever you want to do with that that's your you know that's your uh cue i guess conceptually I, the Malachi Ward one is phenomenal. <laughs> I think I think this is the first art that I saw um, for the book, and because I think you released it on Twitter at mm-hmm. some point, um, and it's brilliant. It's literally a bee. <laughs> it's a bee with the uh, the 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 crime scene like strip tied around it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah that was just like uh, like my brain doesn't work like that so like I was just so mad like I've been thinking about bees for years now and like never did my brain manifest like wouldn't it be cool like having the the yellow crime scene tape wrapped around a black like thorax so it looks like a yellow and black bee like I never 
but yeah, that's uh, unfortunately I'm just clever enough to uh, ask people who are smart enough to figure that stuff out. <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are there are other amazing. They're honestly all amazing. Uh, Jonathan Brandon uh, Sawyer has one. Uh, Tyler Boss, who is someone we love on this on the show, uh, and Chris Visions, uh, and they're all super cool. You guys get to choose. You get to choose. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to choose, but uh, yeah, you guys get to choose, which is super cool. Um, everybody's favorite. I think people like Chris, but everybody loves Zola, right? <laughs> yeah, no, and 100% agree. Very popular dog. <clears throat> you can get, all right, everybody's talking about NFTs. Forget about NFTs, okay? You can get an exclusive video. <laughs> of Zola living life. Zola is now a working dog. And and I like that it's an exclusive copy. So you get all the exclusivity of an NFT with none of the grossness associated with that. It's um, exactly. incredible value. Exactly. Really like if, is, you, yeah. if you want a three-minute video <laughs> of Zola living life and you want to just be happy because watching dogs live makes people happy... Uh, it's, it's, it's 60 bucks and you get all the other cool stuff you get, you get the comic, um, you get both the, the issue one and two, uh, super cool. How does it feel to finally like get Zola working? Great. Like she has like not contributed to this household financially since she, <laughs> since she showed up uh, the closest was when she was in, uh, <clears throat> she was in a mint mobile ad, uh, because of Ryan Reynolds. Uh, what? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> did you guys not catch that? that no, happened? I missed no. this somehow. <laughs> this was like at the beginning of last year. Um, Ryan Reynolds was, it was like right when he like started doing the Mint Mobile stuff, like when he had just bought it. And then he tweeted about like, uh, so it was right around the Super Bowl time because he tweeted like, oh, I didn't get a Super Bowl bull commercial but i bought a full page ad in the new york times <clears throat> and for some reason i was there when he posted it and i quickly replied i was like will you do another one with just a big picture of my dog <clears throat> and then uh and then he like then suddenly i was like dming with a dude from mint mobile <laughs> i was like yeah send us a, a good picture of your dog and then you need to sign this release um and uh, yeah, I've still got the yeah. So they ran it in uh, the the Oregon. Uh, like I don't know if it's. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's like there's a picture of our tweet exchange below. That's but, so yeah. funny. Um, it's amazing. So uh, that's as close to like getting me paid, and I didn't even get paid. Like I, I they gave me like a free. Uh, like a mint mobile uh, thing, like a year of free mint mobile. Okay. Uh, I'll take that. But I'm like, I'm on an iPhone, so I don't really know how to take advantage. Oh, of no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just have it as like a weird keepsake of like, yeah, this is the time my dog went into business with Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> That's a good story. So, uh, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm, 
been trying to figure out a way to financially exploit my dog and uh i found a way to do it that isn't gross i mean it makes sense she's one of the you know on the about page of two-headed press she's listed as one of the two heads Heads, so i feel like she's got to pull her weight a little bit more (laughs) For sure, yeah. No, she she hasn't kicked in on rent or food or anything. So I feel like um, it's about time that she starts bringing in some cash. So the pledge level that I think is best, if you are maybe new to Chris and you, but you like the idea of foul brood, or you know you like Zola, or you're just having fun with this conversation, I think. Um, you really want to go with the three books um, because you're basically getting to choose between three of Chris's books that are out now and you'll get those alongside, you know, all the other cool stuff uh, The you know, you'll get uh, and they're signed, which is also awesome. Um, but you'll get the print copies of Foul Brood 1 and 2. You get the PDFs and you'll get these signed trades. So you can choose between Crowded, which I reckon. I mean, I frankly, I, I recommend everything it. that's here, but crowded is is, is tops for me. Um, Heartthrob, which I loved, that was actually the first Chris book I ever read, and I adored it. Um, Short Order Crooks, yours truly. We are also in that, so that's a little bit of incentive. Uh, Dead Letters, House of Muck, Test, which is really cool. Dead Dudes, Pantomimes, uh, Pantomime, High Crimes. Uh, so you can choose between those. Um, they're all different and i think that's one of the things that um i love about chris's work and i think you get a lot of whenever i see people talking about you they always cite the fact that um your ideas are are special um and they're always different so i just rattled off all these different books and they're all completely different stories like maybe they have an essential element in common like crime but then it's off the rails right you know Um, so yeah, that would be my recommendation. If you don't know which one to choose, that's what I would do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I, 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 I really think that you guys should, should check this out, jump on it. Uh, like I said, we'll have a link. Um, you guys will be able to check it out. It's foul brood. I, I have one last question. Um, because there is a, the highest pledge tier, $600, or more, uh, is that you can actually get a book co-written with 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 Chris, with Christopher Savella. So you said that you've done that before. Two people have already backed at that mm-hmm. level. Uh, what is that like? Um, it's a little weird. Like, uh, so the last time, the last Kickstarter I did was for <clears throat> uh, the first issue of the Death Defying. This book I'm doing with Gavin Guidry. Uh, and I just offered, I was like, I was trying to think of like a high dollar item to offer. Mm. Uh, and yeah, for some reason that just popped into my head. I was like, I'll co-write something with you. Like, and I just, was just like, well, let's see if this works. If anybody gives a crap. And uh, yeah, a dude bought two of them because he wanted to do a 40 issue story. And then somebody else bought one. Um so the dude who bought two of them was this guy Randy Stone, who uh, we we ended up working on this book of his called Eskimo Kisses, um, mm. which is this sort of horror book uh, that takes place in extremely uh, northern Canada, 
in a small like sort of Inuit community. Um, That's interesting. And it, 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 like he got it made, like it came out from Scout Comics as a one shot, like, and it looks really good. Like I very, you know, I, I wrote it with him. Um, but you know, ultimately the final product is a hundred percent him. Um, and then the other one was a guy who bid on it, uh, for me to do a story for this anthology he was putting together and that turned out really well. Um, that one was less of a co-writer thing than just, he was like, just do whatever you like. Here's the theme. Like, will you write a script? And I was wow. like, yeah, sure. Um, it's a weird challenge. Like, I, you know, I have no idea what people who bid on it like want um, ultimately, but I, I like the idea of just having something kind of thrown in my lap and like, Hey, can you help me make sense of this? Um, you know, like there's a level of detachment there for me because it's not my thing. Sure. Um, so it's an interesting way to write. Uh, do you, do you think like, like that's, is it at all similar to like, writing like you know obviously you've done work for like marvel and dc where you're like playing in someone else's sandbox but that's like mm -hmm. still more yours like is it more similar to that or uh i mean it's a little like that but it's not nearly as uh as rigid like mm. it's mm. very it's very loosey-goosey like because you're just dealing with one you know like with with another writer so i have an advantage there because i i know what it's like to be a writer and to be like neurotic and terrified. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's a little like work for hire, but it's also completely different. Um, I don't know. Like I've only done it, you know, those two times. So it's not like I'm an expert at it yet. Uh, maybe after this one, I will be, but I just think it's an interesting challenge for me and ideally whoever bids on it, like it's worth, yeah, their money uh, to bring me on board. I don't know if it is, but uh, hopefully, uh, I, at least, hopefully, I don't screw it up. <laughs> I mean, that's really cool. I when you said the name um, Eskimo Kisses, I was like, wow. I feel like I, I feel like I've seen that before. And then I, I went and looked up the cover, and I was like, I've definitely seen this. Um, so that's pretty cool. Like that person got a bump that could launch a career. You know, who knows yeah um, i don't know uh awesome. but but yeah i i try to keep it super you know if they want like i'm more than happy to co-write it and they take 100 percent credit like they don't even have to credit me on it like you know it's kind of a no strings attached deal if you if you want to exploit whatever uh you know um clout you think my name has which i don't think it does but uh if if you do and you want to use it then go for it but if you want it and you know, it's a hundred percent yours and my name is not involved at all. That's fine too. Um, and if you sell it as a movie and make a shitload of money, then that's all yours, I guess. And I'll just <laughs> feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love it. Um, yes. So again, foul brood, uh, check it out. I think you guys are really going to get a kick out of this. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Um, so if, if you've never read Chris's work, I think now's a good time to jump on. Um, Particularly but, with some of these bundles you can grab. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's a no brainer, honestly. If you, you know, it's it's Christmas time. If, you, if you're looking for something really cool to read over the holiday season, um, you can back this, get those books. Uh, it's just, uh, there's no reason not to. 
Um, I do want to shift gears and I want to talk about Dirtbag Rapture. Yes. Okay? <laughs> because and, and you're going to have to excuse us because we're about to gush. All right. Uh, <laughs> Get ready to receive some honest praise. <laughs> okay. I'm braced. This book is fun as fuck. It really is. It's the most fun, genuine enjoyment that I've had reading a comic in a, in a long time. Obviously, I enjoy reading comics. They're great. I get a lot out of it for a lot of different reasons. But like fun, you know, this is the most fun I've had in a really long time reading nice. a comic book. Um, and one of the things that I loved about it so much is that it feels, it feels bold. That's the word that I kept coming back to was like, it just didn't feel like you were encumbered on any level when it came to the dialogue. It felt like you kind of, it was almost like, I don't want to say stream of consciousness because that implies things, but like whatever you thought Kat would say right there, that's just what came out. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And that made it feel like anything could be said that I could turn the page and there'd be something ridiculous and funny and off the cuff. And it was small things too. Uh, the, the, the demon thing says LMAO. And for some reason, <laughs> for some reason I lost my mind <laughs> because I just didn't see that coming. Um, and it was moments like that that had me on the edge of my seat because I didn't know what was going to happen next. I don't want to spoil too many things. I want people to go read it, but just tell us everything. This is such a fun book. How did you come about it? What's your approach? How's your approach different with this one than anything else? Because it does feel different. Like Cat kind of reminds me of um, of um, uh, uh, Crowded mm -hmm. in the sense that yeah. she kind of has no filter herself and, you know, she kind of says whatever she thinks. Um but it's different even here. So can you just talk about like how this came about and, and, your, and your process with writing her? Sure. And everyone. Uh, yeah. It, it started as a dumb joke on Twitter. Um, I was just part of a, it, it wasn't even my conversation. There were a couple of comics people having a conversation about, I can't remember what, but eventually it got around to talking about vaping. Um, and then somebody um it was chris conroy who's an editor at dc made a joke about like um jason statham uh uh at, like vaping and like the movie that would result I, I i can't even remember the precise detail but i remember replying to him like uh it's like the transporter meets the frighteners uh hit send and then like, <laughs> 30 seconds later i was like that's actually a good idea. Uh, <laughs> I was like, how would that work? Um, and that's really like, was the genesis of it was like thinking like, okay, like there's somebody who carries ghosts around, like, um, then why? So, so I mean, uh, pretty quickly it all, you know, I just kind of sat down and figured out the world and like how Kat's job works um, where, you know, she can see and talk to ghosts and when you die, you're like stuck within this sort of like tethered, uh, like wherever you die, that's where you're stuck. And you can only like go, you know, like several blocks in any direction, but you're, you're kind of trapped there. Um, and I figured out that like, oh, well, cat can like 
pick them up and take them somewhere new, like someone they somewhere they want to spend the rest of their lives. Um, and then them being ghosts, they don't have money, so she she gets like blackmail information from them for people who are still alive that she can shake money out of. Um, <laughs> Awful. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like uh, I, it, it just it came together really easily, and I was super excited about it. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was I you know some books you struggle uh, forever on, but Dirtbag was just like just kind of like I mean, I knew it was going to be. I mean, I think once I figured out it was going to be like like a stoner, like the cat was like a stoner. I think that really like opened the door for me. Um, cause I have a lot of experience, uh, being a stoner. So, <laughs> so I think that's one reason it was super easy and it kind of flows so easily for me is that like, uh, cat is probably the closest to like a Mary Sue character that I have in my own books. Um, mm. like very, like I very much like tapped into a lot of my past experiences, um, to use for this book. And, and I don't like, and then it became a little more noble. Like I was like, cool. Like I'm going to use this book to like, you know, portray a different image of stoners. Like, um, you know, I, I, I just didn't want, you know, like the basic uh, cliche of stoners is like, you know, Cheech and Chong. Right. Um, sure. Or that, uh, that weird dude from SNL, the goat boy dude. Um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, just like you know, and talking about fish and Grateful Dead and all that horse shit that like I never got into. Um, and I, I just wanted to represent, you know, sort of the other side of uh, of fun drug use. Um, well, I appreciate it. I felt seen, you know. Yeah, no, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, so yeah, and Cat just kind of like just one of those characters that like once I started writing her, she like she just made sense. Um, and it yeah it's a thing where i don't have to think very hard about what she says you know like when you're writing characters i mean the sweet spot to get into as pretentious as it sounds is where you make them sort of alive enough that like they'll they'll let you know if you're screwing them up if you're like trying to make them do or say something that like doesn't fit into the character you've established ideally uh you've built them well enough that they'll like sort of turn to you and go like really dude like this isn't this isn't what i'd do mm. um and with cat yeah i was there right away i just sort of knew you know um who she was and how she sounded and how she sort of reacted to the world um and yeah then it, uh, from there it was uh um you know it, this year um maybe we started last i can't remember time is so weird for the last two years but yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't, you know, so I had all this extra money that I wasn't spending to go to cons and stuff like that. So uh, I reached out to Kendall Good and I was like, hey, uh, I can't pay you amazingly, but I can pay you to draw the first issue of this thing I want to do. And we'll figure out what we do with it later. Like, I was like, I don't have a plan for this. I don't have a publisher. Uh, I just want to make a thing and I want to make it with you. And luckily he was super into it and on board. And then like, right as we finished inkst on issue one is when I started talking to Oni um, and Dirtbag was like top of their list of things that they wanted. So awesome. Wow. Yeah. It came to, like, it was uh, it was very effortless. Like um, 
you know, which is one of the things that's sort of driving me into Kickstarter stuff a bit more is like, cause we just did dirtbag under our own steam. Like we didn't wait for anybody to, you know, um, review the pitch and, uh, you know, like we just went and had, went out and made it. Um, and we made the book we wanted to make and we found a publisher that was super into what we were making. So it's, it's very, like it rarely works out that well. So but dirtbag feels a little bit blessed. While we're on that side of the fence, I'm interested in that. Did you, or I guess, have you found that it's any easier to pitch a book when you actually have an issue in hand where they can really get a sense of what the kind of voice and style of the book is? Um, I mean, maybe. Uh, you also run the risk that, like, there, there's something sexier about a pitch where mm. it's all 100% potential. Sure. Um which so you can sort of trick uh publishers into saying yes because <laughs> they they perceive it as being one thing and while you have a vision that's 100 percent different and then you you're basically trying to sneak your vision uh in while while <clears throat> distracting them from turning it into what they want so um yeah i mean it can work for you it can work against you um i don't think i mean i think it's ultimately harder because you're there's no guarantee like you can make a whole issue you know you can make a whole series and then take it to a publisher and they're just like yeah no we're not into it like good luck so um yeah i think it just really is sort of based ultimately on like the quality of what you're doing um i mean i like to flatter myself that like kendall and i made a really good first issue I, well i i'm i'm glad you said that because i wanted to bring that up actually um i think that that's generally something that i i find that i i think of when i think of what are really your strengths as a writer i think aside from you know like we talked about having really really strong unique ideas and having good follow-through on them i think you do a really good job of that first issue and i think this is a great example where like it clearly establishes all the rules quickly, but it does it through dialogue and through, you know, or, you know, internal monologue so that it doesn't feel like I'm getting just like, here's an info dump about how the world works so that you can follow along from now on. Right. It's, it's yeah. very much rooted in telling me who cat is as a character. And that's why it works because yeah, like the premise is interesting and that's, that pitch is interesting enough that I wanted to read the issue. But then you kind of get to that, so what else is here question. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, well, I love the main character. She's funny. She's likable. I'm interested in following her on this journey, right? And there's a great, you know, kind of cliffhanger type reveal at the end of the first issue that we, we won't spoil if you haven't checked it out yet. But, you know, I think for me, I was already in at that point, right? It's like, I don't even really care what the twist is because I like Kat and I'm interested enough in the world to see, you know, what, what journey you're trying to take us on. And I think that like, we talk all the time about how you do a, an issue number one, right? And I think that's the most important thing is to, you know, not just get the idea over, but get the characters over. And, you know, yeah. like when I think about this book, the thing that stands out the most to me is how much I like the character and, and the way that she thinks and the way that she talks. Thanks. Yeah. And I think that's like, for me, that's a hundred percent the key to making a good book is like <clears throat> creating a character that feels, you know, real. Uh, and even if they're kind of an asshole, like likable enough or compelling enough that like people 
because like anybody can have a cool idea like you know anybody could have come up with the idea for dirtbag rapture like um it's you know also it's it's a cliche but it's all about execution and really like you know trying to populate you know like populate this with like interesting compelling characters and like a world i don't know um yeah first issues are super tricky because you have to you have to hook people in while and and trying to dance around the info dump is always like i'm i'm forever like trying to figure out like how to do it in a way that's like because sometimes it's just unavoidable but like you want to find a way to do it at least that's like a bit more clever like crowded is probably my my proudest moment of doing an info dump like in issue two of that book where they meet like the the hacker kids basically mansplain uh to charlie and vita how reaper works and the whole time they're like dude we know uh but these kids are just like on a roll um so like calling attention to the info dump i don't know um so yeah it's a it's a tricky thing um but i think if you have a a character that you believe in and that you have affection for then i think that comes through on the page and like people you know people who read it will ideally uh, a lot of them will will have the same feelings I, you know, it's funny because I think you joked about kind of like bringing attention to the fact that we're going to like contextualize things. And I remember the first bit of um, of internal dialogue that we get in the in the first issue with Kat. Like I kind of immediately laughed at the fact that it, it kind of hits that note of like, all right, I'm not an asshole, I swear. Like, I, you know, people say that it's more interesting if you show um, if you show the blemishes too, right, that you show both mm-hmm. sides of yourself. And I immediately was just like, oh, I, I love that. Like, I love I love that our first interaction with this character is her being a jerk to somebody and then being like, no, 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 but there's more to me. I swear, you know? (laughs) No, I, I, yeah, I, I love, uh, you know, I, I've had a couple friendships in my life where it's very like, you know, like you start off with this person and you can't stand each other. Um, (laughs) you just like annoy the piss out of each other, but like, then you end up becoming like best of friends and that dynamic still exists of where you're like kind of always needling each other and like (laughs) shit talking one another, but it's in a, so yeah, I, I just, I don't know for cat. It just felt like I was like, I'm just going to start at asshole ground zero and see if I can like, you know, make her uh, less assholish by the end of the first issue. You talk about her, feeling like a person and she, you know, she makes mistakes. That's something Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of stories that, you know, get told, not just in comics everywhere, characters don't make mistakes. They're, you know, perfectly suited for the world that they're in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that just doesn't feel authentic. So I appreciated the authenticity of this story. And I also uh, felt when I was reading uh, Kat, I was like, hmm, some of these things remind me of Chris. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of them reminded me of stories that you've told us on this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, like Kat is very much is as close to like a Mary Sue as I've ever written. Um, and the first time I really felt like sort of, I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to dump a lot of myself into Kat and like see what happens. When you, when you tell stories outside of this one, 
uh, how often do you feel like, I, I guess it's probably unavoidable, but you can speak to it. Um, how often do you feel that yourself, your experiences come into the story? And is it something that you lean into always? Or do you kind of try to reel that back to let the characters be whoever they want to be? Um, yeah, I mean, I think more, I tend to mine my life more for, um, I don't know, experience, like, not so much for character stuff, but I mean, that stuff is just inevitably going to show up. Like it's, I mean, even if you don't want it to, you know, like, cause you're, you know, you're writing from your own perspective and your perspective is shaped by the shit you've gone through. So like, it's kind of hard to avoid putting yourself into stuff. Um, um, you know, it's a tricky balance. Like uh, you don't want to, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to like strip my, my life for, for my books. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. I think each of us has, you know, kind of an infinite amount of experiences um, to, to draw from and you can, and not, not just our experiences, but like, you know, shit that friends have told us or, you know, uh, stuff you see in a movie or a TV show. Like there's just an endless amount of like wells you can sort of, drop your bucket into and get something out of so um yeah i tend not to i certainly don't look at myself as like a good uh basis for any sort of character um cat sort of felt the closest because like she's a stoner um and she likes to stay home a lot um i was like well that's me um, i fucking love to stay home and i love to get high so like, <laughs> It, it just felt it, it felt like a I don't know I felt more directly connected to this one because I was like well you know if I had died for for ten minutes and came back seeing ghosts like this would probably be something I'd I'd get into <laughs> yeah yeah um, <laughs> I I I I, I want to God I wish I could talk about so many things that happen in the book but. You guys have got to check it out. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's only three issues in, so it's not like this huge investment to get on board. It's in stores already, so you can go pick that up. I think you'll have a great time. Um, like I said, like a lot of a, a lot of comics are, are very serious, it feels like, um, and this isn't. But that doesn't mean that there aren't stakes. That doesn't mean that there's not something happening that's like important there is it's just that the book doesn't take those things too serious yeah i think it's the same reason that like i found crowded so appealing is that like it it is there are stakes and it is serious enough that like i feel invested and it's not like okay well doesn't nothing matters so like what's the reason to follow along but it's not taking itself so seriously that like you're afraid to have fun you know and like that's you know Comics should be fun at some point, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's more, you know, like, it's just more fun for me. You know, I have to live with these books sometimes for years and years, you know, before they ever come out. And I, you know, I, I love like, you know, when, when the mood is right for me, I love grim, dark stuff. Like, sure. Super, super serious. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I just find it hard to turn off uh, when I'm creating like, I'm just like a, I'm just a dude who likes to crack wise, I guess. Um, and 
<clears throat> like yeah for for crowded like crowded was m- more of a group effort like very much Roe and ted uh helped steer that ship more into the direction of being a funnier book than when i originally conceived of it mm. um but uh but yeah i don't know maybe i i feel like with dirtbag i i kind of let myself lean into it more um so I was like, well, I think I'm actually like good at writing funny stuff and definitely <laughs> um it felt like a good vehicle for that. So I just kind of yeah, um yeah, ultimately like yeah, there's still going to be stakes and stuff cuz I, you know, regardless of readers and I still have to be invested in like you know, there's only so much you can write about a character just like dicking around doing nothing like right. Right before <laughs> before you get bored. So, um yeah, you have to have, you know, it's like an open world video game. Like you can run around endlessly, but after a while you're going to want to like actually do something new, advance the story. There's a, I hope this isn't, you know, giving too much away, but there's a, there's a, like a kind of like a car chase, a very brief car chase that goes down. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because most of the time in other stories that would have been like, Hey, here's the great, you know, like big action set piece. Um, and it's not quite that. Yeah. And I didn't care at all. I was like, yeah, I don't even want to necessarily see all that. Like I want to see the other stuff. And that just goes to, to show how invested I was by that point in the, in, in cat, in the character, in the story that that wasn't the story. That's just a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to follow the narrative and, you know, again, like high praise. That's, that's, it's not always like that. Well, you know? and to build on that point, uh, Sean, like I love how, you know, the first issue like ends on a, like a cliffhanger basically. And then the second one kind of fakes you out with this, like very, like it opens into this very like calm kind of mundane scene. And it's like, Oh wait, no, we're still in the middle of the car chase. Like that's like such a fun page, you know, it's a, it's a fun way to start the issue. And like, yes, it's still a high stakes action moment, but like, there's lots of room for comedy there. And like, I super appreciate that Um, because I think not only does it like make for a different pace and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a good time. It's fun. I think it also helps with what I like about cat that like, even in a high pressure situation, like she's still cracking jokes. She's still, you know, that, that same character because the clarity of, of who she is and how she deals with situations is, is so clear, you know? Um, And it's like, yeah, I mean, Right, like she's seeing ghosts every day, right? Like it's not, yeah. This is the weirdest thing so far, but it's not, you know, it's right. still pretty par for the course for her, I think. <laughs> wow, <laughs> another day in paradise, right? <laughs> so screwed up. <laughs> her status quo is screwed up. <laughs> she can't sleep unless she's on a plane. Like that sucks, shit, man. That's tough. <laughs> Stoners love to sleep. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest like difference between me and Cat is I fucking hate flying, um, like the but but the only time I've ever been able to like fly really well is a friend gave me like a handful of pills before he took me to the airport. I'll do it, <clears throat> and I don't even know. I know one of them was some, something called Milltown, which are like these pills that are like um, apparently Milton Berle was popular for, or like helped popularize them. Like this is how old these pills are. Um, 
What did you take? I don't know. What did they like pull it out of their historical drawer? Like, oh, I got these and some uh, some lewds. You want those? Like, I would have, yeah, if they had lewds. But this was pretty close. Like, I remember I took I took them and then like got on the plane. And then the next thing I remember, I was waking up and we were back in Portland. So that's perfect. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, the best flight I've ever had. Well, you know, we could honestly do this all day um we do have to let you go but i want to pledge here live on the show uh, right. i want to pledge to foul brood because i'm excited about this book i want to support it i think if you're a fan of comics there are certain creators that you attach yourself to that speak to you that are telling stories that you are invested in and when that when that happens I think it's imperative and I don't like to tell people how to spend their money, but I think it's imperative that you support because that's the only way that that creator, those creators will get to continue to tell stories. And so if you like it, there's not really a a more direct way to support than through this Kickstarter. So that's what I'm going to do here. Now I'm, I'm actually choosing the, um, the variant covers uh, reward level because I need (laughs) <laughs> I need the, uh, the 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 Ted and Roe um, variant. And so there I go. Uh, I just pledged. Sweet. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wishing you all the success in the Watch world. Watch the ticker go up in real time. We're 422. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was number 420, and I feel very proud of that. <laughs> you should be. Yeah, donors um, 69 and 420. <laughs> <laughs> They're the real MVPs. Yes. Um, yeah. Go support it. Kickstarter, Foul Brood. Uh, is there like a special like link type I should be saying? Like kickstarter.com slash Foul Brood? Uh, there's like a bit.ly link. Right. It's just like bit.ly slash Foul Brood. We'll have a link down yeah. in the description we'll as have, well. Yeah. So wherever we'll you're listening links. to this, go click the link. Go back it right now. Yeah, um, if, if you Google, Fal- like, there's, we're the only book called Falbred in the world, I think. There you go. Unless there it's you a, go. like a B, a specialized B text. <laughs> Are you going to do a B zine after this, Chris? That's my question. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is my B zine. Like, I'm putting all my, all the B info I've gathered uh, is going into this book. And then when I'm done, I'm not going to think about bees that much anymore. <laughs> Um, so before we let you go, I I wanted to ask you, uh, are there any books that you're reading right now? Is there anything that you're into, um, that you want to call out? Um, trying to think, uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, the, what's the furthest place from here is like, you know, one of the, Mm. uh, like I, I read that. I've read it a while ago, but like it's finally out now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Matt, Matt and Tyler, are, uh, they're good friends, but also like annoyingly like so talented, especially together. Like it's <laughs> just frustrating. And Tyler on his own, Tyler's book, uh, Dead Dogs Bite. Yeah. Uh, is one of my favorite books that came out over. It was one of my favorite pandemic reads, I guess. Um, like it's not fair that that dude's as talented as he is. Um, I think yeah, my reading has been garbage, uh, especially now that my productivity has kind of ticked back up. Like the more productive I get, the less I read. Sure. Um, 
So I'm trying to think. Uh, like the last few things I picked up at the shop were uh, uh, Crisis Stone, the Simon Hanselman book, um, who does Meg, Mog, and Owl. Mm. Um, but they did they did this book called Crisis Zone through the pandemic, and it is maybe like one of the best summaries of like what it felt like to live through like uh, 2020 and 2021. Ooh, interesting. Um, it's just this group of degenerates like trapped in a house together, and like like all this shit that was like they were just making it on Instagram. Um, so it's it's really hard to describe, but like there's weird like. Uh, it's like people with thong collections and like <laughs> Animal Crossing and uh, like weird OnlyFans uh, anal porn and like it's and then there's a riot and a fire and it just came out like collected in this thick volume. It's it's one of the funniest things I've ever read. Um, besides that, um, I am finishing up Nod Away Volume Two by Joshua Cotter. Um, who, if you don't know him, is like he's like one of the unsung geniuses making uh, making comics right now. Like he's, um, yeah, I can't say enough good stuff about Josh Cotter. Like, uh, just like crushing it, um, and should be a superstar. Uh, so uh, pretty much any time I can uh, tell people to go read Not Away, uh, I'll say that. Well, um. I'm going to have to check it out. Cause... If you have time, Chris, I have one one last question for you. Yeah, yeah. So all these years ago, right, we asked you what were the ideas that are cooking in the back of your head right now? You know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> obviously now we see Foul Brood. What, what's, what's the thing that's <laughs> cooking in the back of your brain right now that we're going to read in four years? <laughs> um, yeah, I got a bunch of um, – I just finished up two – well, I'm finishing up a, a first issue of this uh, – I have a bunch of space stuff coming. Um, okay. But this is my newest space thing. And it's, uh, um, I'm trying, like, you know that movie War of the Roses? Yeah. Uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner is like this battling, uh, this married couple that's basically fighting it out to the death. Um, I'm doing kind of a version of that, except it's set in, uh, on like an Elon Muskian planet of like the these like settlers who are basically like working for a, a giant corporation like trying to settle and habitate a planet. Okay. And, um that sounds fascinating. And they basically are like falling out of love as it happens and it turns into and they're like trapped together in space. Um it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's <laughs> It's a lot of fun for me. Um, I don't know how much fun it'll be to read. Like, it's just the first issue, which I'm super happy about. Um, uh, and then I'm doing a this mother-daughter uh, magic book that sort of involves the anarchist cookbook. Um, hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can't say much more than that. Um, I, I have, like, yeah, um, trying to think of there's anything like really like those two are the ones that are really kind of like burning a hole in my head right now of trying to figure out like now that I've written them, I was like, well, who the hell is going to put like the first issues of that mother daughter thing is like 44 pages. So I don't know where that might be a thing that we wind up kickstarting down the road, but uh, I don't know. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I think that's as solid an answer as I got for you, but I'm hoping both of those will, I don't know. I really believe in both of these. So I just have to figure out uh, who's going to be dumb enough to say yes to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, I think you might actually be the house of ideas because you I'm at least an apartment of ideas <laughs> <laughs> the townhouse of ideas <laughs> yes working your way up next time we talk to you you'll be a house of ideas the tiny <laughs> tiny house of ideas we we we've got to do this more often because i feel like we could keep talking forever uh, yeah i'm i i love talking with you guys so yeah whenever you want me on uh i just have to set an alarm because <laughs> I'm not used to getting up this early. But, uh, I know it's yeah that that uh, that three hour difference. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you want to leave the people with? Any you know your your Twitter, your Instagram if you have it, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as a X Top X T O P. Um, but otherwise, my uh, my website is ChristopherSavella.com, and I'm going to be updating that this weekend. Not that you'll really be able to tell, but I, I at least have a very detailed uh, bibliography on there. So you can scan through and see all my single issues uh, and when they in chronological order. It's very pleasing to my OCD, if nothing else. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think I did join. I am on TikTok, but I don't understand it because I'm fucking old and decrepit now. So um, can relate. Yeah, but. <laughs> But yeah, I'm under there on a I'm on there under a fake name, so I'm not really gonna like I don't know what I'm doing with it. Uh but I'm on there. Testing the waters. Existing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. Make sure you yeah, guys check you. out the, the foul brood Kickstarter. Uh this is a book worth backing, so give that a give that a go. Um and yeah, we'll we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. We hope you had a good time listening to that conversation with Chris. He's he's awesome. You know, we love having him on. So, um, like, I can't recommend the, the Kickstarter enough. There's, We'll have a link, like we said. Just go check it out. It's yeah, and fun. it's impossible that every one of you has checked out Chris's work, I would imagine, right. unless you listen to everything we say, which you should. Um, go check <laughs> it out, right? Like, we have historically loved his work. Um, yeah. So if you're a new reader and, you know, maybe – like you don't want to go back a Kickstarter book that you can't get your hands on right now, go pick up Crowded or something and read that first. And if that's for you, then I'm sure this will be too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we've got we've got a lot more show to do. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, you know some uh, some unfortunate news for uh, IDW, maybe some unfortunate news for Dark Horse even. Uh, but we've got a new a new comic book company joining the fray which should be interesting and in our main topic we're going to be talking about all the the spider madness that i'm sure uh you guys have heard some amount of rumblings about so we've got a Let's lot to talk go um before we get into that we do want to do uh we want to get to your comments so we've got some listener comments here uh pete why don't you take it away this first one comes from Kilgore Trout, who wrote in on episode 266, specifically about the story we discussed with Luke Cage, City on Fire, getting canceled. So Kilgore wrote in and said, not only would Marvel not interrupt the immortal Hulk run to fire Joe Bennett, but the new Kate's Hulk number one had a Joe Bennett variant that came out because they already paid for it. I mean, holy crap. They're, they're being so blatant in this regard. I think you hit the nail on the head 100%. So... 
what I had said was that I felt the reason that Marvel was choosing to cancel the book instead of saying it was delayed or putting it out digitally, if it was a print issue, because obviously we understand there are a lot of print issues going on right now, um, is that the subject matter of the book is very rooted in what America has been like for the last couple of years. You know, uh, the book starts with a black person being killed by cops, if I remember correctly. So um, there's all these racially charged elements that I can see Marvel not necessarily wanting to put out right now, uh, especially because we just had the um, the Rittenhouse case go south and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, this book is actually a tie-in to Devil's Reign which is the Marvel event that's starting this week, actually. Oh. So it's not even like it's a throwaway comic that they don't give a shit about. They can't put it out at another time. Like, it's rooted in this event. So if it doesn't come out now, it won't be relevant to... It won't make any sense. You know, like, if they put it out after the event's over, what the hell am I reading this for? So I had said that I felt it was because of that, and I guess Kilgore agreed. Um, I did read as a small follow-up, uh, Bleeding Cool reported that I think it was Bleeding Cool that uh, actually no it wasn't it was Luzarama that they heard it was a scheduling issue that it wasn't outright canceled but the creator himself was told it was canceled so who do you believe I, you know I don't know yeah because I mean you also think about it right like what what Newsarama said there was like well this is what we've heard right, right. so. You know, um, that's always a thing that I feel like people sometimes lose in the conversation when you're talking about reporting on on rumors and, and some of these kinds of things is like just because someone heard something doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. And just because something was reported doesn't mean a news outlet is claiming that that's fact. Right. Like yeah. that's what they heard from a source that they have, right? Exactly. Obviously, the writer is going to have a different experience, and you can make all kinds of tinfoil hat conversations about why a writer might want to portray something in one way or another. It's hard to say, you know, and ultimately, you need to just look at all of the, the information and kind of, like, sift through it yourself and see what you think um, until we get more information. Yeah, exactly. If we do. Um- <laughs> Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily anticipate that we will. I, you know, it could be entirely true that Marvel really didn't cancel it. Um, but the fact is, we don't know. And until we do know, my inclination is to believe that there's something there's something wrong with why, like, there's a, a, a reason behind why they canceled it. That's not what they're saying. And, and, and Kilgore here pointing out, uh the joe bennon variant i didn't even know about that i brought up the thing about them not firing joe bennett from immortal hulk because they didn't want to interrupt the run this is work that was paid for that's been done and i brought up dc published almost all of the 5g shit right like they reworked all of it to put it out so are you kidding me? You know, but like, I, you know, I went into that last week. So thank you for writing in Kilgore, a loyal, very loyal listener. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again, Kilgore. Uh, these next two come from MBM 1260 on our Hulk number one review. 
Uh, so their first comment said, Abandoned Driven Hulk was explored in Peter David's awful, massively overrated run. Aaron developed Hulk's character. This is a step backwards. Then they followed up to say the awful S.H.I.E.L.D. Hulk run was by Mark Wade. Okay, so that's harsh language. Um, I haven't personally read Peter David's run, I don't believe. Um, Aaron's run was very good, and I was mistaken. It was Wade who had the Hulk uh in, in like a suit of armor i don't know if you saw that pete ever but um not that i remember i'm not, but... I'm not commenting on the quality of the, the the actual story but seeing the hulk in armor to me is completely ridiculous i don't i don't understand what reason the hulk would ever have to wear armor outside of the planet hulk stuff which was more about like it was more um uh, like war, like, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was like war gear. Like he was wearing it in like tribal, like that's what they wore, you know? Yeah. He was a gladiator. Yeah. Right. I, I and I, I was going to say, um, that feels more like out of like solidarity with the group he's a part of rather than right. that he actually needed fucking body armor. Right. Yeah. My man does not need body armor. No. Um, and like, I don't know, like, it might be cool to see in certain, like, that looks cool, the gladiator armor, right? It's very striking, it's very, like, out of character for what the Hulk looks like, so when you see that, you immediately think of Planet Hulk, and, like, there's something yep. to be said for that, you know? Um, but, yeah, the idea of him in, like, some kind of, like, like tech suit has always felt kind of silly, because it's like, how fucking long is that going to last on him? That was something we said in the review. Yeah. Um, and in, in the new Donny Cates, yeah, the new Donny Cates run, Hulk is in armor. And my Tyler and I, we, we did that one uh, together. My immediate reaction was like, this is silly. Like, what? And there's a whole reason. We, we don't have to get into it, but it, it just it just didn't work for me. I didn't like it. So thank you for that clarification. Appreciate it. This next one comes from Langston Brown on the King of Spies number one review. And uh, they wrote in and said, hey, what do you guys think are some of Mark Millar's better books? It's a great question. Uh, I guess it's time uh, for a random me. question of the week. <laughs> Go ahead, because I, I know you've read some Mark stuff, too, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, I guess when you're talking about like historically, you know, I think the the one that always comes to mind for me is is um, is kick ass, you know, of course. Um, but also, uh, Superman Red Sun is obviously, you know, pretty well remembered. It's a book I really enjoyed as a teenager. I think the, the thing that I end up coming back to though, when I think about Mark Millar is a lot of the stories that I really fuck with from Mark Millar are books I have historically fucked with and not read in a really long time. So I don't know how much some of them hold up, like to my sensibilities now but when i was like a teenager he was one of my guys you know like i was really into you know the ultimate universe and he did a lot of work over there with like ultimate fantastic four um and i think he did the was it the second or third volume of ultimates maybe i don't think he did the first one but um you know obviously he of, worked of on the ultimates yeah i don't that remember he he did all of that. Oh, he was the whole run with him? Okay. I thought yeah. somebody else started that one and then he jumped on. There was maybe another book that he did that with. In well, that. Ultimates 
one and two were him. Ultimates three. If if I'm, it was been a while. I think Ultimates three was Jeff Loeb. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Is the reverse is that he kicked it off and then passed the passed the um yeah. the baton. Uh, but yeah, I mean he he's worked on a lot of stuff in that era that like definitely was formative stuff for me when I was a teenager and getting back yeah. into Marvel. Um, and Kickass was one of the, if not the first non-big two comic I remember reading that wasn't like some licensed thing you know like Kick-Ass was definitely the book that got me on the road toward reading like Invincible and Walking Dead and you know like uh, Irredeemable and Incorruptible because I remember reading that story and loving the idea of of it being um you know a superhero story that was outside of continuity and that it was set in the real world and it was edgy and it was very like you know it had some real kind of like that era humor and and like some grim dark kind of nature to it that me at 16 was very very turned on by you know um or even maybe even younger than that now that I think about it um, but I remember Kick-Ass being the first comic that I ever collected the entire thing of. And, like, mm-hmm. it had already come out afterwards. So, like, I was hunting down um, the issues, like, in, in prime condition. And I remember I remember being 17 and uh, finding Kick-Ass 1 at a comic book store. And they wouldn't sell it to me because I wasn't 18. But my friend who was with me was. And I was like, yo, dog, like, <laughs> you got to buy this comic for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kick ass, like I, I, I kind of fell off after the first, the first I, one. Yeah. Um, kick ass two and three didn't really do it for me. Yeah. But I think, I think the first one was special. It was novel. Um, you know, it was just cool. Uh, and I think Mark Millar really captured what kind of cool was for comics at the time. Sure. Like Pete laid out, um, strangely looking through his, uh, bibliography, I guess. He wrote Sonic comics for a while, which is really random. Really? Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. I had no um, idea. Yeah. I For me, uh, and I think this is something that you have to keep in mind when you read Mark Millar stuff, you come to a Mark Millar book almost as much for his writing as whatever artist he's working with. Because I don't think there's a writer in comics who has worked with more of the top a plus plus artist than Mark has. So when I talk about Mark Millar, I think about um, the artists as well. So like Empress was great. And that's with Stuart Eminent. Perfect. Sure. I love that book. So good. Uh, Huck with Raphael Albuquerque. Oh, I forgot Mar- about Huck. I read yeah. that in like 2014 or 15 or whatever. I have not thought about that book in a while. Huck was awesome. Um, Where's the Huck Nemesis was, That would be, yeah, Netflix. That'd be great. Right? Yeah. Um, Nemesis with Steve McNeven. Nemesis, I really liked. Um, it's not necessarily like at the top of my list for Mark, but the Steve McNeven art is because that's like my favorite guy. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Jupiter's Legacy is cool. Um, Reborn. Reborn is great with Capullo. That's not that old either. That's from uh, that resolved in 2017. Oh. Reborn was amazing. Fuck, I also loved that Marvel Knights Spider-Man uh, with Terry Dodson on art. Ooh. Ooh, I loved that book as a teenager. That was like, I, I that's another one I have the whole run of. Um, there you go. And I bought it, I think, 
like years after it came out. Yeah. Um, I gotta check that out. Yeah, that shit is good. I mean, obviously, uh, Civil War, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's my favorite. Like, and, 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 and that's why I was so hyped for Nemesis was because it was Millar and, and McNeven teaming up again. Um, so yeah, you know, it's really cool. The last book I just wanted to shout out is uh, Magic Order. I think it's underrated. It's with uh, Olivier Coipel. It's brilliant. It's like um, Mark compared it to like the a cross between the Sopranos and Harry Potter, which sounds fucking crazy. Um, and it's not quite the extreme of either, but it is. I see why he says that. Yeah, so, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, for sure. Somehow, yeah. Yeah, I, he's uh, funny for me because he's definitely a creator who, like, is responsible for a lot of stuff that I I really deeply connected with at a certain point in my life and was very, very important on my journey to being the fan I am today, for sure. But I don't always think of him in that way. You know, I think it's it, he has similar, um, like, Bendis energy in my mind sometimes, I think, which I don't think is fair. Because he's definitely done plenty of books that I haven't connected with as much, but and some of that stuff I don't, you know, I, ages to varying degrees. But um, yeah, I mean, Mark is is one of those uh, names for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And so hopefully we gave you something to think about, Langston. If you are trying to get on board with him, um, now's a great time to do that, considering the holidays. Um, he's got a lot of great books. But thank you for writing in another person who. Uh, writes in quite a bit. Uh, this next one comes from Bolo Johnson. Great name. <clears throat> uh, who wrote in and said, uh, I, I think that there's missing a word here. Read I, it as it is. Okay, I'll read it as is. <clears throat> we'll stop doing Spawn Stories dirty. I get it. You don't like the news page, but like it or not, it is a staple of Spawn, as well as Spawn personality and powers compared to other Spawns. Okay. You take this one. Let me break this down. <laughs> so we reviewed last week Spawn, I think it was two, what was it? Two thirty-five, I think. Thirty-four to thirty-five. Two thirty-four, two thirty-five. And Pete, I gotta tell you, you would have enjoyed this issue. Really? It was that the good. Best issue of Spawn that has come out since we started. Do you wanna know why? It was written by Rory McConville, who's doing Time Before Time. Got it. So it was legitimately good. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I really want to like this, but it was good. Okay. And we praised it. You know, everybody. Rory's was great. That podcast. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. We all praised it. So this individual, this spawn sycophant. <laughs> Decides to write in on the most glowingly complimentary issue of Spawn that we reviewed and pick at the one negative that I had, which was that I am tired, sick to death of the damn news pages. And I've only been re reading Spawn since the summer. If you've been reading Spawn since issue one and this has been a staple since then, you need your head examined if you're not tired of that, too. It's enough. It's enough. I don't need that shit. So I'm not saying that you, Bolo Johnson, can't be annoyed by the fact that I keep pointing it out. But what I can tell you is that this podcast 
just so happens to be mine alongside <laughs> with the rest of the pals. And I can come on here and say whatever I want. And so because of that fact, I will continue to criticize Spawn when the news pages suck. And it's every time. So I guess it's going to be every time that I complain. I'm sorry. I, I, if Todd McFarlane gets to include it every month, I get to complain about it every fucking month. I love the increasingly contentious relationship we're building with Spawn readers. Because, like, <laughs> this person has clearly listened to multiple reviews of ours because yes. they're like, will you stop doing Spawn Dirty? And it's hilarious to me because, like, we just keep complaining about the book. And these folks are gluttons for punishment, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, to Bolo, like, if that's where you're at, that's fair, right? Like, I'm I'm glad that spawns for you and that you're digging it. But, wow, you know, we got to cause it like we seize it. Um, and just because something is, like, a staple, like, doesn't doesn't mean that it's above critique, you know? But what's funny, too, is that I like Spawn. So you're you're writing in criticize. Well, I, I, maybe criticizing is a little bit too far, but like you're commenting on my critique of the book when I've been the guy. I'm I'm the, I'm the <laughs> I'm guy. Down. If it wasn't for me. We probably wouldn't review Spawn. Yes. So that is true. Like, <laughs> and, and by the way, these Spawn fans are gluttons for punishment on two levels. They're gluttons for punishment because they keep listening to our reviews. And then also because they keep reading the damn book. It's true. Which I include myself among because I will not stop reading Spawn. You're a glutton. You're a glutton <laughs> for punishment, man. We know that. I read Marvel Comics constantly. So <laughs> all I'm saying, Bolo, is I have no beef with you. We're cool. But if you will continue to listen to our reviews, that's cool. But you got to accept that I'm going to criticize it. I'm sorry. It's not perfect. Like, it is what it is, dude. Yeah. Sorry. And that's cool. You're free um, to disagree. Um, but yeah. but Sean will roast that. you. Uh, so Yeah, that's just part of it. <laughs> well, Hopefully you don't take offense. Maybe you didn't even hear me. I don't know. Maybe you only listen to us when we review Spawn. That would be even anyway. funnier. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I, obviously, we mean we mean no, no beef, no harm. <laughs> we're just we're just having fun, Bolo. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from definitely not Sean Soapbox, who wrote in and said, "I'm thankful for Sean, Pete, Marco, and Phil, but mostly Sean." <laughs> you twice, scale zero times. <laughs> First of all, it's unfortunate that the mystery of who. <laughs> definitely not Sean Soapbox is will not be resolved uh, this year because no one has figured it out. But uh, you are my favorite listener. You're great. Thank you so much. I'm thankful for you. Definitely not. And it's nice. It's nice to be appreciated. It really is. Um, for you to be thankful for me, I'm thankful for you. How about that? That's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm thankful for the mystery. You know, I don't want to know at this point. I feel like it, it keeps it keeps some of the the intrigue of life, you know, alive for me. Fair enough to not know all the answers. Maybe <laughs> maybe maybe I'll reveal it. Maybe I'll reveal it on episode 300. Who knows? There we go. 
Thank you all for writing in. We really appreciate it. If you guys want to do what they did, you can write to us in a variety of ways. All of these people chose to reach out to us on YouTube. So if you guys want to do that as well, uh, subscribe to our channel because it helps. And we're trying to get to 500 subscribers. That's a milestone and it would help us out a ton um, just for stuff over there. Uh, so, you know, please do that. And while you're there, you can leave us a comment or the comments piles at gmail.com or social media, wherever you feel like talking to us, we will find it. So um, let's do the pals pulls. Uh, Pete, you chose Inferno number three. Yep. Um, Inferno, you know, I, I don't really have much more to say about it just to like, you should be reading it, right? If you've enjoyed the Hickman X-Men run, uh, like I have uh, wearing the shirt today, very appropriate. Saw that. That's awesome. It's, uh, make yeah. more mutants, baby. Um this is, I think, what's been missing from the ongoings, right? Is, like, there was so much um, political intrigue and this sense of mystery and theorizing and, and you know, um, all of that, all the stuff that goes along with a Hickman run, right, or event um, was what was so special about House and Powers. And we got glimpses of that of that throughout you know, uh, Hickman's X-Men stuff and some of the other surrounding books. But I think by and large, um, it's fair to say that the, the the monthly ongoing books have often failed to live up to the promise of Krakoa or have at least been in the shadow of how exceptional the heights of it are versus, you know, the, the valleys, right? Yeah. Um, this is one of those peaks, this is one of those books that you must read. And if you've not read any of the other stuff that's gone on in Krakoa, you'll still get something out of this because I think it's it's friendly enough as a follow-up to House and Powers that you could just pick this up and, and get into it. Um, so if you dug those books, if you've been on the train like we have to varying degrees, uh, you, you must be reading this book because it's the reward um, for the investment that you've made. So Inferno number three. I shouted this out on Thursday, so I'm not going to like go into it too much on our Thursday reviews, which and we will be reviewing Inferno number three. If you want to hear that, you've got to listen to our reviews for Marvel and DC and everything else, which drops every single Thursday. So tune in for that. It's great stuff. Uh, you also went with Swamp Thing 10. Yep, Swamp Thing, one of our favorite books of the year. Uh, great creative team there with Ron V, Mike Perkins, and Mike Spicer. Um, just really phenomenal work, I think, from stem to stern, right? That book has been has been really, really good. And um, with, with very rare exception, it's often been my pick of the week or my favorite book of the week um, or, or whatever, right? So yeah. I, I, I think the... The book is great. This is the end of, of... Oh, no, wait. Did season one get extended? Or is this the end of season one? Season one got... Well, they extended the run, but I don't... Like, it, the messaging is so off. I think this is the end of the arc. Of the arc, and so then we have the break. one is resolving. Yes. Then we have the break, and then it continues with issue 11. Right. Which I guess is season two. Yeah. So it's a little confusing about, about the numbering and everything, but this is the end of this first arc, uh, which has been great. And there is also the trade paperback coming out this week as well. Um, you know, so supply 
issues notwithstanding, hopefully you can get it. Um, But if you've missed the ride, if you've heard us talk about it and you've been interested in it, or maybe you're you're becoming aware of Rom V as, you know, his star is on the rise, um, check it out. I I really, really highly recommend this book. And and I say that as a, a prior to this, a very, very casual fan of Swamp Thing. Um, having only checked out the stuff we did for the the book club last year or two years ago, yeah. whatever it was, time's meaningless now. Um, this book is great. You should be checking it out. It's one of my favorites of the year. Made in Korea number six. This is my favorite book of the year. <laughs> I really, really enjoy this book. Um, I, I, you know, we've both gone to bat for it time and time again. We reviewed every issue on our image reviews. Um, so if you've been following along over there. Um, it's it, it, this book is phenomenal. Um, I think uh, it's it's got a, a fantastic creative team, um, specifically you know uh, Jeremy Holt doing amazing job. I think with the scripts, um, the book is is really emotionally resonant, and I think that's the thing that sticks out to me the most. You know, it's it's definitely been um, a really exciting ride because issue to issue there's been a lot of really cool world building and and some really yeah. exciting developments but i think the thing that makes this book stand out to me as the one that i think is is my favorite of the year is just because it's 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 got a really strong emotional core you know um and and it's it's smartly written um so i i highly recommend this book to everybody i know the last i think the last two issues that we reviewed uh, Sean, we both were were really over the moon about those. Even yeah. even at, even though we thought the first three were phenomenal, like I think it the last couple have been insane, and this is the end of the first arc. So, um, great time to jump on the book if you've missed it this far. Do not sleep on it. Yeah. Um, I want to point out uh, two Batman books this week. Um. Batman 89, Batman 89, number four. Uh, this has low key been phenomenal. Um, I know that when we reviewed it, I was high on the first issue and other guys were kind of down. Um, I have stuck along with it, even though we stopped reviewing it for the show. Um, I think it's fantastic. I so wish if this is the idea that they had for what, um, for what the third movie would have been uh, for uh, Tim Burton. I'm so sad that we didn't get it because this is so cool. Um, It's just, it's, it's such a, it's such an expansion on what Burton was doing in a way that's, that opens the world up. Uh, Like even getting Robin, you know, getting um, Two-Face, like all these things. It's so cool. It's such a shame how those movies pivoted. I know they're now like it's almost kind of cool to like the Schumacher movies, but um, I really wish we had gotten this. This has been great. So I'm I'm all in on it. Um, it's, it's awesome. And then also Bat. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it is a shame. Yeah. Um, and then Batman number one eighteen. Uh, this is actually Joshua Williamson's first issue. This is the start of oh, okay. mini run uh, with Jorge Molina. I'm excited because I think Joshua Williamson is great. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, I think Josh is great. And um, his work on Robin's been fantastic. His Flash run is one of my all-time favorite runs on a character. I never cared about the Flash. 
Um, so I'm interested in what he's going to do with Batman. I wish it was a longer run. We know this is kind of a, a stopgap. He's like uh, just coming in to fill the time, uh, which is kind of a bummer. But um, he'll make something of it, I'm sure. So I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, and you know you got to hope that this being an at bat with like a bigger character like this, if it does well, if it's popular, maybe they think, okay, cool, let's let's throw him something else, you know, of this caliber. Right, or maybe Batman again down the road. Who knows? Yeah, right. Maybe he'll get a full run of his own. Because um, wasn't wasn't this what happened with Tinian, where he was supposed to come on as like a stopgap, and then they extended the run because it was so popular. Yep. So you know, maybe uh, maybe that'll be. Similar situation here. Yeah, who knows? Um, I'm looking forward to it, no matter what it's going to be. So we'll see. Uh, let's jump into the news. This is a weird one. Uh, we've got a new challenger entering the fray of uh, comic book publishers. This one is called Zest World. If you can believe that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, they, they're starting off strong. They've got an article in the New York Times, uh, and it's written by George Jean Gustins. Um, That's probably right. And it's essentially a subscription-based platform that is going to kind of be like an answer to Substack in a way where creators are getting paid a lot of them in advance, at least this initial crop, I'll get to who they are in a moment uh, to tell the stories they feel like telling. And that's really it. Like it's not, it's not complicated. Um, They're, they are, uh, well, one of the investors is the guy behind Reddit. One of the guys behind Reddit. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Alexis Ohanian. Um, and apparently he's a lifelong comic fan. So we talked about that a little bit in the interview. He said, I'm a lifelong comics fan, so much so that I didn't read an actual book for pleasure until college. This investment started from a place of personal passion, but it's also a perfect fit with my investing history in the creator economy. So um, as far as the creators oh. involved, go ahead. It's interesting. He... Hmm. No, keep going. Keep going. Sorry. Right. So uh, we've got, and this is just up front. This is the initial team. Uh, Eric Kinnett, uh, Amanda Connor, and Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, of course, they are the husband and wife duo that people associate a lot with Harley Quinn um, and then uh, and Jonah Hex. Um, Phil Jimenez, who we just like sung the praises of amazingly on uh, Wonder Woman Historia which just dropped last week, uh, Alex Segura and Peter Tomasi. Um, also, uh, they announced the first, they, they made the first kind of book announcement. The thing that they're kind of sh- selling this on um, to us is The Awakened, which is a superhero murder mystery that uh, Alex Segura is going to write with Michael Morecci, whose name they didn't include in the initial announcement. So I'm guessing Morecci is um, kind of being like brought into the mix by Segura to, to work on this book. Yeah. And Dean, Dean Cox is doing the art. Cause I, I was, I'm getting the impression, I guess that these are the folks they've made the deal with and then they can collaborate with whoever they want. Right. 
Right. Yep. Um, this is interesting. And I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate any of the creators here. I've, I've read several of their work and have enjoyed it. I think they're all talented. But when you look at what is happening over at Substack and the creators that they were able to get, you know, you're talking about Scott Snyder. You're talking about Donnie Cates. You're talking about Jonathan Hickman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a whole host of other creators. Those are people who are kind of like anchors in comics. Their existence in comics helps sustain comics. You know, the industry is not the same if Scott Snyder's not in it. Think about what that did for comicsology. Hit their deal with him. Yeah. You know, um, that helped get Substack over having it, like, those it, creators it, involved. It's like a legitimizer, you know, right. like it, it makes them look serious. Right. And I don't know if this crop of creators includes the person or people that are going to make this legit. You know, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor are great, but, you know, Palmiotti has been on Twitter vocally, honestly, talking about the, the lack of success that he has had on Kickstarter and kind of wondering where the fan base is. So if that's an issue for you now, What's going to happen with this unproven idea of a subscription-based thing where I'm paying sight unseen for these stories that are from creators who I'm not necessarily checking for? I think <clears throat> I think that there's there's something to be said there, but I, I guess it depends on on how things kind of go from here, right? Because like there might be right now um, because you have this kind of new angle to the comic book industry and the market like emerging, right? Like, and I don't feel like it's just this, right? Like, I think this is speaking to a broader trend of companies, organizations and, and whatever, all seeing that there's money to be made in digital comics. Yeah. And wanting to get a piece of that pie. And I think when I look at this, I think that there's an argument to be made because I I don't disagree with anything that you're saying on its face, but I think it doesn't necessarily need to be as successful as like a Substack or something like that, at least on the onset, to be valuable or to be worthwhile. Because I think what, what I am trying to equate this to on some level in my mind is like, look at you know, um, some of the, like, the crops of of smaller independent publishers that have come up over the last several, you know, years. Um, And at the end of the day, if this is another avenue for creators to get a deal like this where they can make books that they're excited about that ideally raise their star power on some level, that, that ideally helps turn zest world into a you know a platform or a publisher or whatever it ends up whatever shape it ends up taking right as a viable way for creators to get paid making comics then ultimately that's a good thing yeah and not everyone uh is gonna be the top dog right but look at any industry you have your top dog 
you have your number twos and you've got all of the other sure. folks who get in line behind that. Some of them are imitators who fall away and some of them are able to develop a niche that fulfills an angle of the market that the other big bigger dogs maybe aren't. And that's enough, you know? And I think when you have someone like uh, Alex, Alexis uh, Ohanian behind it, right, who if what we've read uh, from him is is to be believed, right, that he's like a diehard comics person and he loves comics and he's rich, right? He's, you know, he's uh, a, a pretty <laughs> well-known, like, investor of this type. Sure. Um, I mean, how, how much money does it need to make up front, right? Like... Do, uh, do, like, are they entering this with the startup mindset of we won't make money in the first year, two years, three years, five years, whatever. If that's built into their plan and they believe in this or he loves comics so much that he wants to put his foot in the door and get involved and be able to facilitate work, you know, like, you know, I, that's not sustainable forever, but it might be sustainable yeah. long enough to attract some other higher tier talent that they might be in conversations with right now that might be thinking, do I go here? Do I go Substack? Do I do this? Whatever. Like you never know, right? Like it, it only takes a, a one breakout book or, or a, you know, a, a big get of, of a creator who, you know, pulls those huge headlines to get more folks interested in it. Right. But like, obviously they've got, an article in the New York Times, like they've got some momentum, they've got yeah. some press attention, they've got, you know, one of the founders of Reddit um, who can leverage, you know, his uh, capital and, and influence um, to try to put this over. And, you know, I think whether or not this is successful is, is you know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. I am very personally emboldened to see more and more stuff like this cropping up because I think that this could really be a thing that's healthy for the industry in the long term to have more, you know, Substacks, Comicsology, original type options where you have avenues where creators can go and make art that they're passionate about, that they can control um, the the stake in to some degree or to all of the degree uh, in this case of Substack and, and this, right, ideally. Um that's only a good thing, you know, and, and even if this goes belly up, man, all these creators get to make some pretty cool books that they'll own. So there's at least that. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And and again, like it's it's not, you know, I, I'm not interested in, 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 you know, tearing any any of them down. I think this not is awesome for them. They got paid. That's fantastic. Palmiati did say um, they put their money where their mouth was. They came to us and said, you guys can do whatever you want. We want you guys to create some comics and characters. You guys own them. You guys control them. Nothing's being done without sitting with us and talking to us, and nothing is being made without it benefiting us. It's the kind of transparency all creators need. That's that's great. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of um, the article talks a little bit about, um, you know, how the the sort of like the problem statement um chris gilberti uh, says gilberti says he's the uh ceo of zest world that 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 basically there's a problem with creators getting paid for you know when a when a book becomes a film when it gets optioned for tv whatever that creators aren't reaping the benefits and that's absolutely true so if any of these creators 
do something that pops the fact that, okay, Hey, you know, I, I made the awakened. Right. And uh, now it's going to be a, a, a movie put out by universal. I'm going to really reap the benefits. I'm going to see my fair share of that. That's great. That's all we want. So I'm hopeful for that. I just have some concerns because there's not like, there's not infinite money. Shit. You know what though? This is interesting. Uh, in addition to working with Reddit, uh, Ohanian was one of the first investors in Patreon. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like, it's not infinite, but stuff like this is so interesting because, like, it might come out and be nothing, but if one of these books pops or, or something like that, like, and the attention's there, that's all it takes, really, to get to get things moving, you know? Yeah. Um, and they have more money to burn than, you know, than none. So, you know, like, let's, let's see, right? Like you got to think too, right? There's so many overhead costs associated with comics that are just not a problem with digital distribution. So like if all they have to do is pay to make the books and make the content, like hopefully they can make a pretty sizable investment in building a library, um, before that cash burn, uh, becomes a problem. I'll be interested to see if these uh, stories don't ever come physical. I feel like they probably will, but um, who knows? I feel like it'll be similar to the Substack equation where yeah. they will come out, but it won't be from uh, like from Zest World. Yeah, it'll yeah. be like Image does it or Dark Horse or some some other entity. Um, jumps Speaking in on of that. Dark Horse, uh, <laughs> Dark Horse is looking for a buyer according to bloomberg uh they are weighing their options which could include a sale they're it's it's unfortunate and like i guess that doesn't have to be bad um that's not an inherently bad thing that a company is looking to sell if they feel like it's valuable and you know whatever like great i guess um Obviously, Dark Horse has had some hits. Umbrella Academy is a big deal uh, with a Netflix show and stuff like that. Um, they've got the uh, Star Wars license, uh, which is really weird. Um, like elements of the Star Wars license are moving to Dark Horse when Disney owns Marvel. I don't get that at all. Yeah, but whatever. Um, so. Dark Horse has value for sure. It's a bummer that it could be sold and potentially end up in the hands of people that don't like understand why Dark Horse works or don't care um, about comics. Don't care about comics. There's a risk in the industry right now uh, of a big company coming over and say, hey, we're going to buy you because we just want the IP, mm-hmm. just like Millar World. Now, Mark Millar's obviously able to do what he wants on the comics end of things, but he doesn't necessarily control what happens when Netflix decides they want to make Jupiter's Legacy. Or I think he's you know, still involved whatever. though, because like he's involved. They, yeah, because they bought Millar World, but he still is active in Millar World. So like it's interesting because like I think Netflix is an example of how it can kind of go right. Where like, and arguably, right? Like, because the adaptions haven't been 
super successful and you know there's an argument to be made that maybe that's not good but i think in that in that sense it feels more collaborative right where like netflix is like we want to invest in you as a creator mark millar so we're gonna buy your company and finance the comics so that we can adapt stuff because we see value in that right but I think, like, what you're talking about, it could be very, very simple that, like, a major multimedia corporation comes in and buys Dark Horse and then is like, cool, we want the IP. We don't really care about that whole comics thing, though. Right, right. That's not so, that's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. Will it happen? Probably yeah. not. But I don't know. I, I'm worried. I'm worried. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily have a ton more to say about it, but I am worried. Uh, Dark Horse is. A, you know, they may not be the big two. They're not the big three. They might not even be the big four. Although I would argue they're probably the fourth. Maybe Boom is whatever. Um, my point is that without Dark Horse, without that space, that avenue, we never get Hellboy. We never get Sin City. Um, we don't get Umbrella Academy. There's so many things that don't happen if Dark Horse doesn't exist. Yeah, we need those alternatives. Like Boom is great, Image is great. They all have different flavors, and the flavor of Dark Horse is something that people want. So, hopefully, yeah. they they if if they do end up selling, we don't lose that identity that they have. Yeah, I um, it's it's unfortunate too because I know in the the ComicBook.com article they kind of call out how. Umbrella Academy was successful at Netflix and obviously there's the Star Wars thing that you brought up you know and like both of those are things that like they equate to being like oh like maybe we could see Netflix or the Walt Disney Company buy them and like you know I'm sure those conversations are happening I'm sure that you know that um, there's that consideration being made either of those acquisitions would be something I would be like in general I would not like to see Dark Horse acquired but I think that would be even worse because you know like Phil and I are always the ones who squeal about this. I feel like the most, but media consolidation is scary kids. Like I don't want, I, like we don't need Disney to then own. Okay, cool. Great. Now we own dark horse. So now we went from owning like 50% of the comic book industry to 60%. Like, yeah, that's not good. Um, We don't need that. We don't want that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so <laughs> speaking of, you know, media consolidation. Um, it looks like IDW is losing some of that. They are going to be losing, according to Bleeding Cool, uh, the licenses for G.I. Joe and Transformers. They've had both of those licenses for a very, very long time. I, I think um, since at least since I started reading comics, um, I think says. I'm seeing here IDW got Transformers um, in 2005. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's right around the time I started reading comics. Um, So they've done a lot of good stuff with Transformers in the the comic space. Um, I feel like those books and the G.I. Joe ones, frankly, have been successes. We've talked about them on the show in the past. Um, Yeah. They've had uh, yeah. G.I. Joe since 2008. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I know that a big piece of what IDW does is these like media franchises that they get to make comics for because they also did uh, Sonic um, and uh, a couple others I can't think of right now. But yeah, that's a that's a big part of, of their 
brand. So I don't know what IDW is if they lose, like from a financial perspective, I guess, if they lose these two presumably cash cows, like how many freaking, you know, GI Joe comics do they publish in a given month? Like I, 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 every time I see the IDW uh, release schedule, it's a ton of GI Joe, ton of Transformers. If those are not on the docket, what do you fill that with? You know? Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, shit, right? Like, I, I was going to their Wikipedia page to try and see, like, what are the non-licensed properties they have that are, like, bigger. And the last sentence of the top of their Wikipedia uh, article is, the company is perhaps best known for its licensed comic book adaptations of movies, television shows, video games, and cartoons, right? Like, that's I, really, that is definitely um, kind of their bread and butter, you know? Not to say that yeah. they don't have... Um, other creator-owned stuff because, of course, they do. Yeah. Um, and they do have a lot of other big uh properties. Like they are still the home of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for example. So you know, I don't think that that's you know th- this is obviously a big loss for them, but I I don't know that it means like that IDW is like necessarily in trouble, but it's definitely got to be something that's going to hurt their bottom line in a pretty big way. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good look. Um, they lost the they lost some of their Marvel stuff. Uh, they lost the Star Wars All Ages stuff. So I, I just I don't know what's happening. I re- I really don't. It feels like they're they've lost. That's four major properties we just talked about. Yeah, and I wonder if that's happening because, like, are those unrelated stories that are just happening? at the same time and it's like unfortunate timing for idw or does this speak to some level of you know like corporate disorganization or something like that that's led to them uh having you know multiple relationships with you know these these other companies that have gone sour you know um i think right now it feels like that's probably um that that feels like a little too tinfoil hat for me to be like, yes, this is what's happening. But if this happens again, then I would be like, okay, that feels like less of a coincidence and more of a pattern. Because like obviously, yeah, like yeah. the Star Wars stuff, we we talked about that. That feels weird still because they didn't even just take it back for themselves. They took it back and then they're like, okay, well let Dark Horse do it. Which is like, why? Right. Maybe they got up. They had a better deal. Whatever. Like, who knows? Um. Both of these properties are owned by the same parent company, so it's, again, like, it could just be that they're going in a different direction, you know, that they're making a new deal, and, like, in the same way that the Sonic comics were at Dark Horse for forever, and then they moved over to IDW, it could just be that they feel like it's time for a change, for whatever reason, you know? Um, But if we see you know, another one of these big properties that they have their hands on, um, you know, get moved around, I would definitely be more open to the idea that, like, maybe there's something going on at IDW that's just not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hoping for the best for IDW, for sure. Um, But... We are going to switch gears and get into our main topic, which is all about Spider-Man. We 
have a lot to discuss. There's some big Spider-Man news that dropped this week. It's funny that Pete and I are the ones on this show because we are, of course, the two biggest Spider-Man fans on this podcast, uniquely positioned to have this conversation. Screw the rest of those guys. It's spider time. I don't need to hear Kale talk about how he doesn't care about this. Fuck him. (laughs) Agreed. Do you want to break or I already like got to break before. So like, I'm good. If you want to break, right. I'm fine, yeah, I'm but we can keep rolling. I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. Let's do it. All right. So <laughs> I'm just going to say what the headline is, and then we're going to go right into it. Okay. Hollywood reporter. This is their headline. Marvel and Sony planning more Spider-Man beyond No Way Home, says producer Amy Pascal. Stop. End of the story. That's it. (laughs) I'm going to say that last part again. Says producer Amy Pascal. If you know me, if you listen to this show and you've heard my Spider-Man rants, you know one thing. Amy Pascal is not to be trusted. This is the person. This is the same woman who told the media during the promotion for Venom that there was a possibility that it could take place in the MCU. She said that the Sony-verse and the MCU were going to cross over. Remember the face of Kevin Feige, the face of Feige. Remember, it was a meme. It was all over the place. That face was made because of comments that Pascal was making about the relationship between Sony and Marvel, making it seem like their movies, Sony's movies, were Marvel movies, and it wasn't true. It just wasn't, it wasn't true. It was a lie. It was a total lie. So she is saying, now that I've, now that I have given you that, she is saying that Spider-Man five or four, five, and six are coming and that they will come from Marvel. At the same time that Amy Pascal is saying that, this is the quote, I'm going to read it. This is not the last movie that we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. We're thinking of this as three films, and now we're going on to the next three. This is not the last of our MCU movies. Okay. At the exact same time that she is saying that, Tom Holland is saying he might be done. I got that quote, too. Yeah. So... Uh, He said, if I'm playing Spider-Man after I'm 30, I've done something wrong. Maybe it is time for me to move on. Maybe what's best for Spider-Man is that they do a Miles Morales film. So Tom Holland is a what? Like he's like 20. He's 25. 25. Okay. If they do a trilogy of movies. Right, which they can't start today. Uh, three movies will take about, uh, I don't know, let's say about a decade. 
around a decade, a little less than that. You could you could get it because Captain America First Avenger came out like what, 2010, 2011. Yeah. And the third. Well, the, actually, that that was I a mean, you could even you could even look at the Spider-Man movies, right? Like, I mean, yeah. he's been in three at, after this one. And the first one was what? 2017. Really? Was it? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. You might be. Yeah, you're you're probably right. OK, so maybe it's not a decade. So that's four years. Yeah, Homecoming nuts. was 2017, Far From Home was 19, and then No Way Home is 2021. So if wow, we were doing a trilogy tight. on the same timeline, it would theoretically take six years. So he'd probably be he'd probably be finishing the last movie when he was 30. So he could mean that, where he's like, after that, I'm done. Because that's I've been playing the character for a huge chunk of my life. We've done two trilogies after at that point it would be overkill, right? Right. Maybe. Okay, fair enough. So maybe he's kind of trolling a little bit. Maybe he knew what was going on or whatever. I don't trust Amy Pascal as far as she could throw a sandwich at me. Um, which of course is a reference to her sandwich and Kevin Feige's face. I'm way too into all this stuff. Um, the lore. <laughs> Y'all don't know the lore about Amy Pascal's feud. <laughs> there is, believe me, there is a video in me that never saw the light of day that like is all about this stuff. I, I got, I, I purged myself, but because you guys never saw it, I still like feel these things. But, um, I don't think I think Kevin Feige sat at home reading this article with that same face, because if it's true, he don't want to take the heat off of No Way Home. You don't want people to be thinking about what's coming ahead of the movie you're about to watch. You want them to be thinking about the movie you're about to watch. Right. It's perfectly rational. If it's not true, if they're still deliberating or if, you know, whatever, whatever, like, reason why it just might not be inked, um, you don't want to talk about it because it's not a done deal. What if they talk about this and then it ends up not coming to fruition because of whatever reason? Sony and Marvel, like, don't don't think that this is a happy marriage, please. They're staying together not. for the kid. 100%. 100%. So my uh, not even like counterpoint to that but i guess like to build on that uh sure the motivation behind amy pascal's statements could be to put pressure on that because you we you know remember the last negotiation right like how did that play out you know uh there was the whole dialogue about, oh, like Sony is so greedy and they don't want to play ball and everybody loves Spider-Man in the MCU and they're the reason that it can't happen because they're backing out of the deal and obviously there was, you know, that was the narrative, whether that was the truth or not, you know, that was how fans perceived it. I wonder if this is Amy in some way trying to get ahead of that and being like, oh, we're definitely going to do this. So then if Disney doesn't want to play hardball, then they can be like, well, we already, you know, we said we wanted to do more. They don't want to do it. They don't want to, you know, you know what I mean? Like it could be a little bit of that corporate 3D chess going on by getting the fans whipped up to be like, oh, there's another trilogy coming. Awesome. You just made the exact opposite point I was about to make and I'll explain what I mean. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I think you're right that it's 3D chess. I think though that because when this went down mm-hmm. originally, when they broke up, it was Sony that had basically they put out a, a person wrote an article. I feel like it was Deadline. Could be wrong. That person who wrote the article was in the pocket of Sony. I'm not making this up. You can read it for yourself. The language of the article suggested that it was Disney who was playing hardball, that Disney wanted more money, that Disney wanted a bigger cut. Um, and that, and then they actually came out and said that Kevin Feige was too busy working on Star Wars. I remember that. <laughs> right. So I think this is Sony once again being Cersei Lannister and putting Marvel in a Disney, Marvel, whatever, in a very weird position. Mm-hmm. Kevin Feige is notoriously quiet about things. Kevin Feige is not the kind of person to go and talk about things that are cooking. You know, if it's not ready to be talked about, you don't talk about it. You guys remember uh, Kevin Sujihara from uh, from uh, uh, Warner Brothers did an interview where he was just talking flippantly about, you know, several projects that weren't even, that didn't even have a single person attached. He was talking about Batgirl. He was talking about Static. He was talking about all this stuff. And none of it had anybody attached, right? right? That's not the Kevin Feige way. Kevin Feige, you can't even get Kevin Feige to talk about the Fantastic Four casually. So this is the difference in what right. we're talking about. So I agree with your point that it could be the 3D chess, but it could also be Amy Pascal being who she is yeah. and just talking yeah, because she can't help herself. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean... And it might be both, <laughs> like you know, is yeah. the other thing too, right? Like, I I think um, it's funny because this is such a weird situation because like you have this story, but I and it's reported on by legitimate, you know, Hollywood reporter. You can usually take one of their reports to the bank, right? Yeah. But given who's involved, I wouldn't be surprised if a few weeks from now it's like, oh. Trouble in paradise again, and they're arguing and negotiations and blah, blah, blah. And then it all ends up coming out in the wash, and and these movies happen anyway, right? And whether it's a Tom Holland trilogy or a Miles Morales trilogy or whatever, I have a feeling that it's not the last of Spider-Man in the MCU. Um, But it's just a matter of, like, I guess where the dust settles from now. Because if Tom Holland is down to do another three, I would be surprised if they wouldn't commit to doing another three movies about Peter Parker. Um, they've done so much work um, in the like he's a teenager and all this stuff and he's taking you know he's stepping into Iron Man shoes and and all these things and like if they've got another three movies where he can be one of the leading you know uh, men of the MCU and then he dies and then Miles comes in when he's in his 30s and we've been watching him be Spider-Man for forever that will yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that, right? Like, that sure. will have more weight, I think, than killing him when he's, you know, in-universe, he's 18. Like, you know, I don't know. That feels like a little bit maybe, you know, um, they could still have their cake and eat it too, you know, and and make $6 billion Spider-Man movies instead of three, you know? Um, if the relationship stays strong. Right, exactly. And what is frustrating about this as No Way Home was projected to make 
$200 million opening weekend, which is massive. Yeah. Um, what's frustrating is that Spider-Man is the only character in all the Marvel movies whose future in Marvel movies is always in question. Yeah. If they sign a new deal, does that mean we get Avengers movies with Spider-Man in them? He should be in them. He he is an Avenger, you know? Like, I'm not saying that I care less about Spider-Man if he's not present. I'm saying I care less about the Avengers if he's not present mm-hmm. at this point. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's it's frustrating how it feels like it's always a struggle with this character who is a blockbuster character. And it's like Sony makes money either way. Yeah. They make money either way. So let's just like, let's just get past all that and just do what the fans want. And my hope with all of this is that after the far from home debacle, they have learned that uh, they got to put the money first and the fans first. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're good. You, Sony can't make good Spider-Man movies. No, I hate to say that because I think the the original, well, okay, not the whole trilogy. Um, Two out of three. And actually, I wanted to talk to you about this. I'm rewatching all the Spider-Man movies. Oh, um, yeah. So I, I I did the first two so far. Okay. Um, and I I think I like the first one more than the second one now, which is crazy. But they're like so neck and neck. I feel like they both really have a lot going for them. They're just different. Right, like, but yeah. like, one is such a good fucking. It's so tight, right? Like, if that was the only Spider-Man movie they ever made, it'd be like, yeah, you nailed it, good enough. Like, <laughs> and I think you know, regardless of which one you think is better, it's pretty safe to say that of the Sony made uh, Spider-Man movies, only the first two are like pretty universally critically. They're acclaimed. well remembered. Yeah, the third one obviously was just DOA. And amazing Spider-Man one and two. It just there was too much behind the scenes. They get a bad rap, you know. They're better than people want to say they are. Yes, but there are some problems, and a lot of those problems are due to the same person we're talking about, Amy Pascal, Mm -hmm. and certain other people who needed to put their stamp on those movies more than they wanted them to be good. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I and I think. to your point, right? Like Sony makes money either way. And I feel like they've found a formula that works for them. Right. Where like you let the, you let Marvel handle the actual proper Spider-Man movies. And then you can do all these like spinoffs and, and whatever. Right. Cause like, you know, it sucks because I want Spider-Man in the MCU. I agree with you that I don't think Sony's capable of making good live action superhero movies. Um, I think Venom was good by accident. I thought Venom 2 was really, really underwhelming, and I'm not looking forward to Morbius. Um, But Sony owning the Spider-Man IP is the reason we got what I maintain is the best Spider-Man movie made, which is Into the Spider-Verse. And that movie is so special because they were able to take the Spider-Man IP and give it to auteurs in Miller and Lord and let them do something that was like, dynamic and interesting and different and fresh and groundbreaking uh when it comes to like a a big blockbuster animated feature right 
Um, Disney wouldn't have done that. Disney wouldn't have taken that risk. They wouldn't have, have made that movie because there's no reason for them to make that movie, right? They have their Marvel machine, and if they're going to make animated Marvel projects, they go in their own specific boxes that feed into other initiatives and, and all these other things, right? So if we can move forward, and this is the status quo, where we get good MCU Spider-Man movies, bad spin-off Sony movies, and dope animated movies then like yeah let's ride that ride for 10 more years that's okay i can live with that you know i wish they would fucking stop making those spin-off movies and let those characters be in the mcu movies that would be great but you know i i i completely agree with everything you just said i think you're right that like there are aspects of sony still kind of being the owners of the character on film that are beneficial. Like you mentioned into the Spider-Verse, I'm so happy for all the kids that got to be kids while that movie came out. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, And that movie was huge for Miles as a character in terms of putting him over in like the general like pop culture uh, lexicon rather than just being a thing that like comic book readers knew and liked. Yeah, absolutely. My my thing is like, what are the concessions that Marvel will have to make in order to keep playing with Spider-Man? Is that going to mean that they're going to have to let Tom Holland's Spider-Man appear in Venom 3? Maybe. Does Do they have to allow Venom to appear in a Spider-Man movie? I don't think that will happen because I think Sony is too smart for that. This is what I know. This is, and you know, this is from the contract and stuff like that. This is what I know. If Marvel uses a character that Sony owns, that except for Spider-Man, that version, that exact same version is on ice. Marvel has them. Hmm. So that's why we have uh, MJ, but her actual name is not Mary Jane. It's something else. Yeah. Um, that's why Norman Osborn is not here. That's, you know, that's why so many of these characters have not appeared, um, because of what I just said. So, which is interesting because they're about to do that now. They are about to do that, but I'm not sure how that works because those characters, those versions of the characters already exist. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, if, if it's that granular, uh, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is on ice. You know what I'm saying? But they don't care right, about that because yeah. that character is dead and gone um, after this movie, presumably. Yeah. Well, and Alfred Molina is like 70 years old, so he probably won't do this again. You know? Exactly. <laughs> on top of that, it's not like Sony's going to be making a Doc Ock movie, presumably. That would be just insane, right? Like, that makes no sense at all. But then again, there's a Morbius movie coming out next year. So and a fucking, there's two Venom movies that have nothing to do with Spider-Man, which makes no sense, and I maintain that to this fucking day. I agree, even though I like the first one. Yeah, the first one was fun because by accident. Like, that movie, I, I, I maintain that. It, was, it is accidentally good because all of... I don't know, man. I just... They gotta stop with this shit. I just... I really hope that Morbius, like, fucking flops at the box office, and they're like, all right, all right, fuck it, fuck it, and they just are like, okay, here you go, like... But that's the thing, and that's another... And we we do have to wrap up, but, like, I want to um, tug on that. That's another, like, 
negative consequence of them renewing the deal. Sony is not giving up the Spider-Man bag. They have to make Spider-Man universe movies. They just do. Yeah. And so no matter how many flop, no matter what people say about them, they're going to keep doing it. So that's 10 more years, maybe six by your count, uh, maybe a little more of those movies. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. But it I sure mean, does. they've already fucking like Venom's fucked. So if they keep making those for a while, that's okay. I'm not going to see them. I'm not going to see any more of those if I can help it. Uh, Morbius, fuck that shit. And whatever. Like, who cares about Morbius anyway? Like, that's not the that's not the worst thing in the world. It's when they start getting to the black cats and, like, the characters that I actually give a fuck about where I'm going to be like, please stop. Like, just stop doing this. I mean, I do care about Venom, but I've already taken that blow, right? Like, that's already – it is what it is, I guess. But – yeah, I, I I think um I think that we're in for a hell of a ride. They're gonna get into uh there was the Madam Web rumor, they're gonna get, get into Spider Woman, they're gonna get into Black please. Cat, they're gonna get into Silver Sable, like Just Silver and Black. Don't please it's don't it's gonna happen. And I wonder what the future of Miles is. Are they really gonna hold Miles off for 10 years? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't Maybe think there's not. any way they hold Miles off for 10 years. I don't know though because it's like if if you've got Spider-Verse, right? And like you've got other ways that you can leverage the character and like make people clamor for it, like maybe, like I don't know. It's it's hard to say cuz it's like Miles is is like super he's a hot character, like he's under he's underutilized I think in the broader pop yeah. culture spectrum, but like I don't know, right? Like, they also haven't done a lot of the big beats that you can do with Peter Parker. And, like, do they not want to do those things? I don't know, right? Like, they've spent all this time building him up. He's already that A-tier, S-tier character, right? Like, do you want to start with an origin all over again and go through that? Like, but while you haven't even gotten to do some of these other things that you've set up, right, of him being a leader in in the broader superhero community or him growing into the Spider-Man that we know him to be historically, you know, rather than like the kid who's still figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm suggesting Sony might leverage Miles. Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay. I think there I would argue that they already are leveraging Miles well with the Spider-Verse stuff and they've got like what three Spider-Verse sequels planned, right? Like and a spin-off um. So maybe that's enough, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Because those, I think, would probably there'd be an argument like, are those things cannibalizing each other on some level? Maybe not, because they're different mediums. But like, you already have a Miles Morales trilogy. Do we need a second one? It, we'll see. It. You know, I used the phrase earlier, "Spider Madness," as a bit of a joke, but. It really is like madness between Sony and Marvel. And we, if Amy Pascal is to be believed, uh, we're in for another trilogy's worth of all the stuff we just talked about. And my biggest hope is that it will be a smoother experience as fans than the first go round. Because, you know, there was a lot of. There were some scary times yeah. um, 
So I hope for the best. I love Spider-Man. Pete does too. We're excited for No Way Home. Can't wait to see it and review it for you guys. But hopefully after that, we get some clarity about the situation. And I'll tell you this. This is my last word. Don't believe anything at all that you hear or anything at all that you see unless Kevin Feige says it. He doesn't. The only time he lies to us is when it's to protect a A hype moment. Yeah. Which I'm cool with that. Yeah. But when it's business, if it's if it if it's about the relationship between Sony and Marvel, believe what Kevin Feige says and no one else. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I'm not sold on this news until I hear it come out of Kevin Feige's mouth. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I think all of that will be in a much clearer light on the other end of No Way Home, right? Exactly. Because you know there's a. Some pretty big ways that could swerve that would make some of these things very complicated. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Sound off on your thoughts. If you're a Spider-Man fan, let us know your thoughts about everything we just talked about. Are you excited? Were you able to get tickets during Spider-Man Day last Monday? Or did you go through the hell that was AMC Theaters and Fandango's websites? I did. I got tickets for Thursday. Super hyped. It took a really long time. That was a mission. Share your horror stories with us or or talk about anything. Um, Back Christopher Sabella's Kickstarter, Foul Brood, a link to which is in the description of this very podcast that you are currently listening to. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. We absolutely always appreciate the write-ins, the subscribes. All that stuff helps us out so much, and it shows us that you care about us, and we care about you back. Let's do some plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, if you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can go check out some more stuff from me, uh, my band, um, Long Friend, Time Friend. We're good if you like noisy punk rock. Uh, we've got some shows coming up in Philly uh, that I am really looking forward to. So if you're local and you want to come out, uh, go follow me on social media and I'm posting about them and stuff. Um, so, yeah, come check us out. Uh, and then you can also head over to flipscreen.games. Um, that's a website, and it's got links to the video game podcast I do. So check it out. Awesome. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Uh, if you want to sh- trade war stories about what it was like to get Spider-Man No Way Home tickets, I'm in for that. Or, frankly, anything that you're into. Um, right now, I feel like there's so much cool stuff going on, video game-wise, comics-wise. Just a great time to be a nerd. Uh, never been a better time in fact so um, that's it for us thank you so so much for listening until next week we're the comics pals signing off take care guys see you next week